There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus... Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. At Total Wine & More, we know what pairs perfectly with summer. Go ahead, test us. What goes best with a beach trip? This crisp rosé. A pool party? Try these craft beers. Oh, you're good. Wondrous selection, helpful guides, ridiculously low prices. Total Wine & More. My name is Dave Hanready and there will be no popcorn. Welcome to episode 12 of the No Popcorn Film and Music Podcast. It is the end of the year. We have our own version of the Oscars, I suppose, but there's bad awards too. There's 15 awards in total. And I'm here, of course, with David Higgins, whose house I'm currently in. Uh, welcome, David, and uh, Happy New Year, I guess, if this is going to be a New Year pod. It could come out before that. We'll see. We'll see. But yeah, so here we are. It's the end of the year. And... Um, I guess the first thing we should say is that there is a workman right outside. <laughs> <laughs> quite literally, uh, outside my house, uh, the the sewage drain, the shitter is quite literally full. Yeah. And there is a man currently rectifying that. So if you hear the, a loud bang or uh, a large industrial hose, um, that is what is happening. Yeah, Hopefully, we, we, we he just, will be done shortly. We have decided to create the ambiance of a Fear Factory music video for this final show of the year. Um so yeah, it's the 23rd of December. It's half 12 in the afternoon and hang on, I'll just crack that can of beer open as you uh, work your way through that glass bottle in front of you. Cheers, man. Doesn't quite have the same. Happy Christmas. Happy Christmas, we, happy Christmas to everybody and to all listeners. Um, no, pop, uh, no Encore, of course, is done for the year and is taking a break, as we all know, but No Popcorn, our film offshoot, will continue. We haven't seen Cats yet. We're saving it for... Next week, I guess. 2020. <laughs> yeah. Just keep, keep kicking that can into next year for, for cats. The reviews are already legendary. I feel we're going to be so late to this party. 
Yeah, and the fact that we've we've already missed the boat because we already haven't seen the version they first sent to the cinemas. Yeah, they're up, they're updating the version. They had to update the CGI. Apparently, the the telling the telling uh, shot. If you want to know if you're watching the old version, is in one scene they haven't CGI'd Dame Judy Dench's hand, and you can see her wedding ring. <laughs> So. Also, like that's an interesting like w- like what a commitment doesn't take off a wedding ring for even the most uh, elegant of performances, the most prestigious turn in Cats the musical, which by all accounts is a fucking insane fever dream nightmare, more so than we thought it would be. Apparently, yeah, because uh, I I was expecting. Um, I mean, if anyone's seen any of Tom Hooper's other films, like he's he's kind of he's kind of beige. He's a very beige uh, filmmaker. His his lame is was quite beige, so. Um, the fact that he's made apparently a wildly overtly sexual um, feline romp. Twenty twenty is going to be off to a great start. Start of the decade, winning the Oscar for the King's Speech, and ends it crashing and burning in the editing room at the eleventh hour with cats. <laughs> so, uh, what have we seen though? Before we get into our end of year awards, what have you been watching? Um, I have been watching mostly Christmas films. I, I kind of did a run of like five in in, in two days. Um, I watched National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation, which I think I've talked about uh, as being my upper tier of the of the Christmas genre. Still holds up, um, even though Chevy Chase is, as as we have agreed upon, a dickhead. Us <laughs> um, and most of Hollywood, I believe. I watched I watched a movie that doesn't technically qualify as a Christmas movie, but qualifies as a holiday movie: uh, Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. Oh yeah. Um, a wonderful film that kind of gets better with every watch. I kind of, I tend to lump it into just like, oh, you know, it's it's very disposable, uh, a very funny John Hughes movie. But there's like, John Candy's performance in that really hits me so hard. He's like, he's so good in it. The pathos he has in it, um, you know, Dale Griffin is like, he's such a, he's such a sad sad character and uh, like when when i think about it when i think about back on the movie most of the time you're like you're thinking of like the big the big moments that those aren't pillows but like just like from scene to scene like he's such a um such a memorable character um and i think there's, there's a lot more in that movie than kind of maybe i have given it credit for in the past also fantastic guest stars like dylan baker just coming in michael mckean for a scene like every single um you know cameo character is wonderfully memorable giving you the recent revelation on the show that you finally learned how to cry at a film this has a big emotional twist in it did it get you it didn't and mostly because i was watching it with a friend and we were kind we 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 watched this and we watch uh, christmas vacation basically every christmas it's kind of a little tradition we have so it's it's not the most active watching. We might be like talking in between it. So you know, you you try and you know give give John Candy some some moments to uh, to emote, but um, it didn't get me. That's fair enough. What else is on your list? Um, I took a, I took took a trip to the cinema to see the original Miracle on Thirty Fourth Street, which I had never seen before. Um, Maureen O'Hara of our parish, I guess. <laughs> yeah, this is one that she was in. Yes, not to be confused with Catherine O'Hara. Not to be confused. Um, I loved it. I was kind of expecting it to be okay. I, I've seen the the Richard Attenborough one, and it's kind of very schmaltzy. This one is like has a bit more of the kind of zip in dialogue that you got in the forties. Uh, Edmund Gwen, I believe his name is, who plays Chris Kringle, is like phenomenal. Um, very charming, very funny. Uh, Natalie Woods uh, is very good in it. Child actor. 
really enjoyed it. Did yeah. you go see Eyes Wide Shut? I didn't. I watched that. Um, I just watched that at home. Okay, and and like, does it qualify as a Christmas movie? Of course, it qualifies as a Christmas movie. We talked about <laughs> this in the last podcast. I'm just making sure now that you've gone back to it. Absolutely. Um, you know, it's got all it's got all the components. Fair enough. Okay. Well, I move you've, on. To, you've been you've been to the cinema. I've been to the cinema. Before I get to that, I I will say I've I watched a couple of, uh, of things at home. Uh, I watched Memories of Murder after seeing. I, oh, I watched Snowpiercer as well. So I'm going back through Memories of Murder is Bong Joon Ho's his one of his first films. Isn't yes, it? and then Snowpiercer, of course, is him as well. So I'm I'm going back through his work, having illegally watched Parasite. Will you go back to Ocha again? <laughs> I never saw it. Okay. No, I've never seen it. Um, it's good, but uh, Jake Gyllenhaal. Yeah. I don't know what world he is in in this movie. <laughs> I'm all for his kind of, his weird character actor uh, performances, but this one is like, it just doesn't work within the tone. Of we the, might talk of about one of those performances later on. Uh, Memories of Murder, people had said that it's a masterpiece. It's based on like real murders that occurred, uh, but it definitely applies a lot of poetic license to it. And there's a lot of strange humor in there as well. It's very disjointed. Uh, it's very revered. People think it's like one of the best movies of the last 20 years. And I don't know if I got that from it, but it was very good when it was very good. It has a killer fucking ending. Like, one of the great endings I've ever seen. Definitely worth checking out. Um, I watched... Uh, I may have I may have illegally streamed another film... David. ...that I won't talk about, but it's coming out in a month's time and there's a lot of hype about it. Uh, Is it The Lighthouse? No, it's Uncut Gems. Uncut Gems. I'm very, very... Cannot wait to see this film. Yeah, it's a stress test of a film, as a lot of people have been saying. Um, Adam Sandler's performance is excellent. He's very much channeling a splice of Al Pacino and John Turturro. Uh, no surprise that he can act, because we've seen him do it before when he wants to. However, this character he plays for me is up there with Freddie Quell from The Master, in the sense that I hated this character instantly and just wanted bad things to happen to him for the entire runtime. Okay. So, I don't know, your, your mileage may vary. It's definitely a Safety Brothers film. It's scuzzy. It's overlit. It's all these things. It's a great film. I don't know if I liked it. Can I ask you about the performance of one person? The Weeknd? No. Oh, uh, Kevin Garnett. He's great. Yeah. And he gets a lot more to do than I thought he would have. Like, he's, he's, a, he, yeah, he's a supporting from, character. Yes, yeah, from film. what I've seen, like, he's basically been, um, when, they, when they're sending Sandler out, like, to you know meet the press it's basically like you get sandler and you get kevin garnett together and for like, anyone who does not know who this man is do you want to let the listener he know? is a basketball player uh played for the minnesota timberwolves and then the boston celtics won an nba championship a legendary trash talker like the, <laughs> there's the, the kind of trash talking has kind of gone out of the game now in basketball i'll give you one example he um he was in a game against the New York Knicks, uh, Carmelo Anthony would be massive player, kind of came in with LeBron and he wanted to like get in his head and like most of the stuff that he would say would be just like, you know, I don't know, you ain't shit, probably some very stuff that, you know, you, we wouldn't want to repeat. But uh, Carmelo Anthony's wife, Lala Anthony is like very well known. I think she used to be uh, an MTV VJ and I think she, she acts as well. And he just said to uh, Carmelo, and this essentially sparked a near brawl. Carmelo was apparently waiting for him outside in the in the car park. He said, your wife tastes like Honey Nut Cheerios. Whoa. <laughs> Which is like, it's such a weirdly specific, awful thing to say. But it, it the, the, the sheer specificity of it kind of implies that there's some deep personal uh, thing behind it. So anyway... Kevin Garnett, legendary trash talker, a very charismatic person in general. Um, so I was kind of curious what he would be like. 
he's great. On the big screen. Yeah, no, he totally, totally holds his own. Like, there was never a point when I felt I was watching a non-professional actor or whatever. He's great. Uh, if you take a drink every time Adam Sandler says, KG, you will die. So, I mean, it's worth the hype, but it's a tough film. It's not for everybody. The weekend's in it. <laughs> Playing himself. How is he? I mean, he doesn't get a lot to do. Is he, he, I, t- I take it he must be kind of like early weekend because this is set in 2012, isn't it? Yes. It's, it's based around, or one of the major plot points is like a playoff game. Yes. Yeah. And it's the weekend as he's on the rise. Like someone has a line where they're like, um, oh, he, like he's he's Canadian, but he's going to be major. And he okay. has the old weekend hair, so I assume they've wigged him up or something. Yeah, because, okay. yeah, but he's barely in it, but he very much make, he leaves an impression and he leaves a weekend style impression for sure. Do you think when he, he got rid of the original weekend hair that he like preserved it in amber? It wouldn't surprise me. Yeah. He kind of needs to bring it back, if I'm honest with you, based on his recent output. It's like think? a Samson effect, maybe. I mean, yeah, Uncle Gems, definitely worth seeing. It drops on Netflix on the 31st of January. It's out on the 10th in cinemas. Okay, it is getting yeah. a cinema run. Yeah. Because there was, well, this is interesting because there was trailers, there was a trailer for Uncut Gems before Star Wars The Rise of Skywalker, which I thought was really inappropriate, by the way. I was like, there's kids in this cinema. This is a very adult film. What the fuck? I was like, well, I hope this isn't a red band trailer because if it is, um, so Star Wars, yeah, I went to see Star Wars. What do you um, want to know? <laughs> um, I it's mean, terrible. Yeah, it, it seems the general consensus is that even like people who, who like Star Wars are like, this is, this is awful. Um, do you think that it will deliver a death blow to nostalgia? I mean, elaborate. Well, um, the force awakens was essentially like driven by, you know, it was a remake of, of a new hope. Um, then you have Ryan Johnson come in and do something different with the, with the last Jedi. Uh, I didn't particularly like it, but it's undeniable that he, he did try and veer away from the text. He wasn't like trying to service fans, maybe not necessarily nostalgia, but the idea of like, you got to give the people what they want. Uh, Abrams is basically, that's his modus operandi. Um, I don't, yeah, I mean, like I've star Wars when I was a kid, loved it, you know, had the videos when it came out in DVD in 2004, bought those immediately. Uh, big fan thought the prequels were shite um, I don't I've never had the adoration that some people have like I know people who have Star Wars tattoos yeah cool not I'm looking at your much like normal was last time looking yeah, at your there, eyes again see there, there are no Star Wars tattoos are on you going to be getting a Baby Yoda tattoo that's no, what I, I want no no I think some people actually already have yeah um, Baby Yoda is great but like um, I mean ultimately Star Wars I don't have the reverie that a lot of people would have for for it the way that they do and I don't understand the obsession and with Last Jedi real quick I didn't like the film but I didn't have any kind of toxic reaction to the film I wasn't like oh my god yeah. a woman like I didn't give a fuck about that kind of stuff I thought Last Jedi had some great individual moments uh, like some legitimately phenomenal looking shots yeah some the Lord wonderful fucking uh, flying through the Star Destroyer thing is like that, that's a moment where you're like fuck whoa um, but I don't really like Ryan Johnson I didn't really care for it I found it very boring and also the, the key problem for me with Last Jedi was at the end of the film there are no stakes there are no stakes for your third movie yeah. you've just wrapped everything up it was like whoa Jesus so with this one I was like I just don't care like I don't care about these characters I don't, I don't care about three new characters I think Daisy Ridley is terrible I mean I think she's not a good actor and th- this has been proven over the course of these three movies she's I think not, it's, it's telling as well that she, she's not booking a lot of gigs outside no, of no, Star Wars I think, I, she's I, only be, done... I think it'll be curious to see what she does now yeah it feels very much like you're kind of stuck with her and I, that's a horrible thing to say but like at the same time Star Wars has birthed this 
person, the star, and yeah. she was in what Murder on the Orient Express or something, which I didn't see, and I so. ensemble cast. I don't know. I don't think she has the chops. She's like a little, a little version of Keira Knightley. Uh, John Boyega is great, but the character's nothing. Oscar Isaac is obviously one of the greats, but the character's nothing. Uh, the Carrie Fisher stuff is very distracting because it can't help but be. Um, this film is really all over the place. It walks back everything from the previous film to such a degree that it's legitimately insulting towards Ryan Johnson, but I don't care. Um, I just found it really boring. I just found it really, like, it's it's boring, but it's also relentless. Like, it, it starts and it doesn't stop for, like, an hour, and you're like, slow the fuck down. Yeah. Um, it felt nothing. Um, thought it was legitimately silly, and by the end of it, it just makes so many wrong-headed decisions that you're just baffled. It's dumb. Like, it's it's not entertaining it's not exciting. They rip off like some of the. They rip off Avengers Endgame, hardcore to the point where you're like, uh, "Hello, lads." <laughs> it, it's under the same umbrella. I mean, this can't be a coincidence. Dude. Yeah. Like, it's just not good. Like, it's just not. It's not. Like, this is my, my big thing is that I'm like, if you're a Star Wars fan, even you must be like, I'm exhausted. And as for the whole nostalgia thing, yeah, the problem with this is that it's very much like it basically told all those fucking toxic blokes on the internet that they were right. I mean, the Kelly Marie Tran character, who I didn't care for, but not to the extent that I would go on the internet and harass this poor fucking woman. I just didn't like the character. Um, Her character is reduced to a sidebar character who does nothing and has to literally, they're all like going, we're going on this big mission. And she's like, no, I have to stay behind. And then you see her like three or four more times doing expository dialogue. And it's a legitimate admission of fuck, people got really mad about this, we better just pull this back. Yeah. Like, it's it's Metallica making St. Anger and then making the Apology album in the form of Death Magnetic. St. Anger might be a fucking mess, but at least it was interesting. Death Magnetic was just, well, oh, sure, we better get that fan back on side. Yeah, yeah. That's what this is. And it's already open to less money than the previous two. Now, granted, less money for a Star Wars movie is still a disgraceful amount of money. I it, think it will be seen as, if this movie doesn't do as well as The Last Jedi, which was, you know from a fan perspective like these these movies to do you know Endgame you need repeat business yeah and if it can't go over Last Jedi like it will be deemed like a massive massive failure it could very well be yeah no it just it, it just wasn't by the time it was over I was just like kind of like was laughing out loud and just being like this is just shite there was applause in the cinema <laughs> well, one last thing uh, Adam Driver how is he because I think he's been consistently good in it even though yeah. I think his role is a little bit below him it is um, I read a review that said he's a tremendous actor and he's too good for this and he is he elevates the material but also it's just dumb and you just feel it you're just like like Richard E. Grant is in this film and every time he's on screen I'm like hey kids it's Richard E. Grant like it doesn't feel like it just takes you out of the film Adam yeah. Driver is good but the dialogue the character arc the overcomplicatedness. he gets to do some more stuff than he kind of did before in some respects you probably know where his character is going and he pulls it off. He's a good actor. But maybe we'll talk about him as well as the show progresses. Lastly, I will say that I have watched... Uh, I had one of those, you know, like, it's Christmas, you're sitting on the couch, and, you know, the, the, the you're just hung over to fuck, and you've no energy. I'll watch a couple of movies on a Sunday afternoon type thing, which extended into a Sunday evening by the fire. Okay. With my housemate, who fell asleep during both films at one stage. like Which, was again, it just felt very nice and Christmassy. Uh, neither film is Christmassy, but I watched a double bill of The Fugitive and Inside Man. Oh, wow. That's a, that's a nice double bill. It was a great double bill, and I hereby recommend it to all. There you go. Harrison Ford, Denzel Washington, grandstanding. Very enjoyable. Tommy Lee Jones. Tommy Lee Jones. Jones. Yeah, like you're getting Willem powerful. D- Will- Will- Willem Dafoe, Chiwetel Ejiofor. They're all in there. And yeah, very enjoyable. Very- Nick Searcy and Julianne Moore. In, yeah, uh, Julianne Moore is fourth build in The Fugitive. Yeah. She has like one scene. It's like one of her first films as well. Is it? Yeah, very, very early on. Can you name the director? 
Of the Fugitive? Yeah. Oh, God, I can't. Andrew Davis. Andrew Davis. There you go. He directed The Guardian, starring <laughs> Kevin Costner and Ashton Kutcher, which no one ever talks about. So, yeah. Inside Man holds up, by the way. I haven't revisited, actually. It's overlong, yeah. but it's enjoyable. There's is, been talk of a sequel. Jodie Foster. Is that, your, is that your number one Spike Lee film? Mm, or 25th Hour? I used to love 25th Hour, but I feel like I've grown up in the film may may not have. Okay. Um, And I liked Summer of Sam back in the day. Yeah, I, I did too. Do uh, the Right Thing is obviously great. Yeah. The Old Boy remake, of course, is, is peerless. <laughs> uh, Inside Man's up there, yeah. I remember seeing Inside Man and not liking it. And then I re- rewatched it and was like, no, this is pretty good. Big renter when I worked in Next Region. Very popular. Um, okay, with all that out of the way, time to get into our No Popcorn Awards for 2019. Hit the music. Do you, want to, do you want to go in the sequential order that we have there on the page here? Or? Um, yeah, so I, t- I told you I have a quiz for you. Do you, do you want the quiz first? Yeah, fuck it. Let's break end? with tradition. I'd love you it. Wanna, yeah. You want to do the... You want your dessert before your... Yeah, yeah. Before your starter. my main. The Robert Lewandowski. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's do it. I love a quiz. Okay. Uh, so 10 questions, all based on movies uh, from 2019. All right. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make a note just to see how many you actually get right. Okay. How many Oscars did Bohemian Rhapsody, subject of No Popcorn Episode 1, win? Four, and I can name all four oh, oh. for a bonus point. There, Yeah, you can get a bonus point, sure. Best Actor. Yes. Best Editing. Yes. Which makes no sense. And it won the two sound awards, sound mixing and sound design. Yeah. I think it won Best Editing because it it was people just being like... They I, recreated that concert. No, I think it was more... Apparently, there's a lot of goodwill towards the fact that it was an insanely troubled production, and um, the editor, whose name I am, is it John Ottman? John Ottman, yeah, yeah it's the is. editor. Um, I remember this well because of all the people being like, "What the fuck?" Yeah, because like obviously, <laughs> I think when we did the episode, we had that 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 Aidan Gillen, like you Which, know, a movie we'll talk about later, but like it, it essentially is edited like the start of Six Underground, Michael Bay's <laughs> new film, but it's just like a, a, you know, two people meeting in a pub. <laughs> Yeah, um, this cut to everything. This cut to a chair at one stage, an empty fucking chair. Yeah, it was like, you know, Guy Ritchie's snatch level hip hop montage. Um, but I think a lot of people within the Academy were just like, it's kind of a miracle that this movie even came out. So I think there was like a lot of goodwill towards it for some reason. Yeah, they that they did it like. Yeah. Okay, so you're 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 up by two already. I tell you, listen, man. Here we go. Believe. Um, Avengers Endgame. Is the highest grossing film, not only of 2019, but of all time. Yes. What was the second highest grossing film of 2019? Of 2019? Yes. The Lion King live action remake. Whoa. Get in. Here we go. (laughs) (laughs) I may have done a news story recently about Disney surpassing $10 billion, and thus I know their figures. Okay. Um, Number three. What movie featured the characters Pluto, Abraham, Red, and Umbre? Oh, Us. Yes, Jordan Peele's us. Yeah, that they are the names of the tethered versions of um, Lupita Nyong'o, Wilson Jukes, and the two child actors' names. I can't think of the the actual regular names they have. Hundred percent so far, baby. Hundred percent. Number four. Which of these needle drops did not did not feature in Captain Marvel? No doubt, just a girl. TLC, waterfalls, whole celebrity skin, 
or ironic Alanis Morissette this is very tough one because I haven't seen this film I do know that Just a Girl is in there I mean I, it, this film played on my flight home from Toronto and I did see bits of it but I had no audio but I knew I knew the Just a Girl thing was a thing I knew, I knew it heralded a big fight scene so I'm basically going to have to guess now at the other three TLC Waterfalls Whole Celebrity Skin and Ironic by Alanis Morissette yeah because this is very much like a 90s jukebox movie right so yep. What one do I think that they wouldn't have gone for out of those three? Waterfalls. Incorrect. It was Ironic by Alanis Morissette. Damn it. Number five. Two foreign language movies also had nominations for Best Director at the Oscars. One was Roma. I was going to guess other. that one. <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> also had for Best Director at the Oscars. Yes. And still only five directors, right? Only five directors. Oof. Alongside Spike Lee and... Oh, I think Adam McKay might have got a nomination. Wait, who won that award? Um, Quaron won for Roma. Oh, okay, right. The other foreign language film. Oh, can I get a clue? Um, if I gave you a country? Sure, I probably still won't get it. Poland. Oh, fuck. I know. Oh, Cold War? Yes. Yes! Pavel. Pavlikowski. Get the fuck in. Yeah, it was a, it was actually like a quite a an odd um nod because it didn't get a best picture nod and then there was all the there was a lot of things in best picture that just didn't get director nominations. Strange, yeah. Um okay. Almost like the Oscars is a farce. You get a point for that. Oh yeah. What movie featured the tagline Real villains are among us, real heroes are within us? That could be anything. It could. <laughs> But it is only one thing. Can I get that again, please? Real villains are among us. Real heroes are within us. Is this a big movie? Yes. Is it a good movie? You don't get... You can't answer the questions here. You know, I can't just... That's a vague question. Like, I'm not even... I've done a couple of quizzes <laughs> that you've done with some very, very vague, uh, you know... Yeah, that's fair. Real villains lines. are among us. Real heroes are within us. Can I come back to this one? No. Fine, I give in. I don't know it. It's glass. Ah, oh, for fuck's sake. That's, ugh, yeah. Uh, question seven. In Spider-Man Far From Home, what is the name given to the event that brought back half the population of the galaxy after five years? Oh, yeah, because they, they changed it. They didn't call it the snap. It's something like the blip. It is the blip. Yeah, get in. All right, yes. All right, here the blip currently on six out six out of seven because you got that bonus point oh, yeah, yeah, okay yeah. not bad um which movie's release was cancelled uh, in the wake of mass shootings and a tweet from donald trump stating liberal hollywood is racist at the highest level and with great anger and hate they like to call themselves elite but they are not elite in fact it is often the people that are so strongly that they so strongly oppose that are actually the elite the movie coming out is made in order to inflame and cause chaos they create their own violence and then try to blame others. They are the true racists and very bad for our country. Not to be confused with the stunning Mads Mikkelsen film of the same name. This film is called The Hunt. Correct. All right. Um, question nine. Which political drama featured needle drops from Slayer and Marilyn Manson? Oh, my God. I didn't even know there were many political dramas this year, let alone ones that had such a bold soundtrack choice I've no idea this is the first time hearing of this 
It is the report, which oh. goes into the CIA black sites, torturing, wow. and obviously Angel of Death and the beautiful people are used during grotesque torture scenes. Of course. And finally, last question. In the great auteur versus Marvel debate of 2019, which director made the following statement? There are many, many movies about superheroes and sexuality doesn't exist for superheroes. They are neutered. There is an unidentified gender. The adventure is what's important. You can find, among independent movies, more of this sexuality. The human being has so much sexuality. That man's name is Pedro Almodovar. There could only have been one person who said that. <laughs> <laughs> so hold on. You have got... I think I'm pretty happy with this. One, two, three, four... 8 out of 10 with your bonus points. Listen. Well played. Thank you very much. I think with the last two quizzes, I've managed to pull back from the brink of total, like, yeah, it it got pretty difficult for a while. So that's good. I'm very happy with that. Thank you. And that's a great quiz. Thank you for putting it together. I really appreciate it. I know how hard quizzes can be to put together. I'm currently working on one for 2019. That won't be out until 2020. I'm out. By out, I mean I'm going to get my friends together for (laughs) a few points. Maybe I can figure out a way to do it. Maybe I could do like a podcast thing of just like reading out the questions. That could be a fun game for everybody, right? Uh, Everyone loves a quiz. Speaking of games, speaking of things everyone loves, it's awards time. Let's start with a gem, shall we? Up first, the John Travolta Award for Most Curious Failure of a Performance. Now, these, of course, refer to films released in the year of 2019. And my uh, choice for this one is, of course, John Travolta in The Fanatic. I just couldn't look past it. Yeah, it's it still remains to me one of the most baffling films that I've seen um, that someone would throw themselves into a role like this head first and and really you know really really go to bat um it's gonna open a chocolate here but i said it might make some rustling noises yeah apologies i please continue i put chocolates on the table but they are the noisiest ones in the world they're fucking they're the the good stuff i mean they might be the best ones in the world oh my god (laughs) so good okay please carry on (laughs) yeah it's 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 just so strange um, that, you know, he seems to be accepting kind of any role these days, but he, he seemed to be very, very um, supportive of this. Like he was a producer on this movie. He seemed to be there from the beginning. Like he was really heavily invested in it. It's like it's it's more than a paycheck. It's more than the kind of what would be considered like the red box DVD movie of America where you basically go to a vending machine and you get like a, a cheap actioner that might have scott adkins or like stone cold steve austin in it like it is one of those movies but his commitment to it is so much bigger than it and it is a truly like impressive performance but also terrible performance there was a thing recently i saw on like the variety website like the sidebars was it you showed me this or was i showed you this oh it was me yeah yeah i was i i got like targeted i opened up i think yeah it was it was variety i was like i was looking on a on a story about something and like a full page takeover ad and now this was a month and a half after we had done the podcast this movie had been released in cinemas made just a bit over three thousand dollars um and it was a for, for your consideration for the oscars yeah yeah best actor john travolta is this like bill kenwright of everton fame just like <laughs> you know really driving this home but this is also like variety is an industry website it is like it it's breaks the trades yeah. yeah you know it's this isn't like it's it's a it's a, it's a hollywood fucking paper it's very much like businessy uh, as well as entertainment stories now granted i mean like it's it's not your fucking financial times or anything but like 
it's a serious website with serious news stories. Like if you ever read a variety story about like, you know, whatever film has been cast with whoever, the last lines are always Travolta is represented by CAA. Like it's always like this weird detail that you wouldn't see. Very, very formal. Yeah. So for them to like carry paid ads for best actor of the year performance for John Travolta. I mean, I guess, you know, we've kind of talked about it so much in our previous episode on this very film. Go and check that out if you haven't already. Not much more I can really add to it apart from it, to me, like with this award, I was like it named in his honor. How could you not? Like, it's my choice. Is it your choice? It's not my choice. Okay, right. So, um, so yeah. So, most curious failure of a performance this year for you? For me, it is Meryl Streep in The Laundromat. Okay. Um, I've never heard of this film. Uh, the Laundromat is uh, Steven Soderbergh's second movie of the year. Um, he's reteamed with uh, Scott Z. Burns, who also wrote and directed the report this year. He had done the insider side effects. He kind of, when when Soderbergh does his poli- movies with a political slant, he's kind of like his go-to. Uh, the Laundromat is basically about the Panama Papers um, and it focuses kind of in a, in a very scattergun way on lots of different uh, characters and how they were affected by it, including um, Jürgen Mossack and Ramon Fonseca, who were basically the... the the architects of uh, this level of scandal and money laundering who are played by um, Gary Oldman and Antonio Banderas. Now, this movie is awful. This movie, it takes its uh, its structure from basically the, the Adam McKay, big short vice way of, um, you know, trying to tell a story, lots of fourth wall breaking. It's incredibly condescending, speaking down to you. Um, that kind of, didactic approach worked in the big short in this it's terrible um but to get to meryl streep so meryl streep plays three characters oh wow Um, i hope hope this isn't like too hugely a spoiler but it's it's been talked about she plays a a a woman who is on a a boat trip uh, with her husband played by james cromwell uh the boat sinks he passes this is kind of you know the first scene of the film and she's basically dealing with like the insurance payout and basically i don't know the full ins and outs of the panel paper i'm not going to try to fully explain it but she's she kind of is like trying to see you know she's not getting the, the payments she's trying to find who is responsible for actually giving the payments um lots of legal uh goings on so the movie kind of starts out like this and you're like okay meryl's kind of in to borrow another Soderbergh movie, an Aaron Brockovich role where she's like pushing back against the system. It's like, I'm on board here. But then it shifts and brings you into the uh, the offices of Mossack Fonseca, where they are using an employee uh, named Elena, uh, a woman of South American uh, heritage, to basically uh, sign documents. They make her like a company director of like a shell company. And at first I was like, okay, this person is like, it's a very broad um kind of you know central america south South american accent like i was like okay and they're wearing like very thick glasses and i was like oh no that's meryl streep wearing kind of like you know a bit of a fat suit full brown face um and there is no reason for this to exist in this movie at all and it's like wildly Unnecessary. I don't know how this movie got a pass. Yeah, I was about to say, like, how, how have I not read numerous think pieces about this? Yeah, it's it's kind of like slid under the radar because, like, this movie got a big release. It's a big, it, you know, it's a Netflix movie, so it's there. Like, it, it, you know, it has 
a big cast as I said Gary Oldman and Tony Banderas Sharon Stone's in it David Schwimmer Matthias Schoenart Jeffrey Wright Will Forte like it's like it's stacked the way Soderbergh could go to someone and be like you know I work really quickly you come in for a couple of days with me and you know then you're done and you're you're in my movie Um, and then her third her third performance is as herself no so this movie (laughs) this this movie ends with her taking off the makeup of Elena and delivering a piece to camera (coughs) screed against you know corporate greed while she basically stands like the Statue of Liberty it is so bad (laughs) (laughs) fuck yeah Jesus this sounds really misguided and ill judged so I thought Roger couldn't be beaten at least he's got a he's got company yeah, and like the you know, there's there's a, there's a likelihood. I mean, I haven't seen Little Women yet that like you know Meryl Streep could be like getting a best supporting actress nod this year, and like she well, she obviously be... just go, or like getting a a Golden Globe for Big Little Lies. But like in between there, this movie is exists. It is on Netflix. It is not very hard to find, and it is <laughs> bafflingly bad. Jesus. Okay, our second award of the evening or afternoon in this case is the Mark Ruffalo They Knew Award. The give me the Oscar moment for a big scene that an actor has where they just throw everything at it and it's very much a big deal a la Mark Ruffalo in Spotlight. Um, I see like I, I really haven't seen that many films this year and so I found it hard to find one for this and so I think I'm actually going to go for Devin Sawa in The Fanatic because he has many a moment in which he gets to just be way too over the top but ultimately I just want to kind of get out of your way on this one because I which, think you, which, which, is, which, which Devin Sawa moment is it? Oh I mean like take your pick I is, mean, it, is, it, is it Hunter Dunbar outside the house? Is it um, <laughs> It's him screaming at John Travolta outside his gaff Is it, is it when he um, you know finds a shotgun in the middle of nowhere and just starts like <laughs> torturing <laughs> that a, as well. a very mentally ill man and then even though his voice isn't raised in this one there's the sequence where he uh, talks to his kid about how great Limp Bizkit were but, I mean that's that's it isn't it that's the that's the kicker but also here's the thing I, I listened back to our episode on this and like I didn't actually get across it's the way he's talking to a character that's supposed to be his 10 year old son about Limp Bizkit is like uh, I would imagine, because obviously I have no experience of this in my entire life, but I would imagine it's how uh, a particularly scuzzy male porn star would speak to his forthcoming conquest in a video. Because he is gross in that scene, and he is saying horrific shit in a disgustingly thirsty voice. So Devin Sawa, of Final Destination fame, gets my Mark Ruffalo award. But I'm happy to, to say that he does not win this award because no one can possibly compete with your choice. No, I mean, um, this is the year of Adam Driver. Do you want to take a listen to a bit of this? Let's have a listen to it. And a laugh with her! Do you love her? No! But she didn't hate me. You hated me! You hated me. You fucked somebody we worked with. You stopped having sex with me in the last year. I never cheated on you. That was cheating on me. But there's so much I could have done. I was a director in my 20s who came from nothing and was suddenly on the cover of fucking Time Out New York. I was hot shit and I wanted to fuck everybody and I didn't. And I loved you and I didn't want to lose you. But I'm in my 20s and I didn't want to lose that too and I kind of did. So yeah, um, and, and the funny thing about this is, is that there are two scenes, I think I think we made mention of it before, that there are two scenes in this movie that are quite literally like, give me the gold. This is Marriage Story. This is Marriage Story, Noah Baumbach's Marriage Story. Um, Adam Driver essentially playing... Uh, Noah Baumbach uh, as he goes through a divorce with Scarlett Johansson who is a stand-in for Jennifer Jason Lee. They have a big old 
blowout in a real kind of uh, sad looking apartment. Adam Driver has moved to LA to be closer to his kid, even though he's a theater director in New York. It's a very kind of bland, um, you know, beige wall. Um, not unlike, you know, apart from, you know, he doesn't, I don't think he has a, I don't think he has a race car for a bed, but like Millhouse's da <laughs> level of apartment. <laughs> <laughs> they have an explosive uh, argument and it, it is basically just being like we are acting here it has someone you know punching a hole in a wall Hi, I'm gonna stop you there because uh, this thing got memed to death yeah. the second it came out which is kind of funny for like this kitchen sink indie drama from Noah Baumbach I guess it speaks to Netflix and the reach of that and you know just social media in general but like this sequence with, with Scarlett Johansson and Adam Driver has become its own little you know, hermetically sealed cartoon thing, which, I mean, I haven't seen the film. I've, I've said before, I'll never watch this film ever. I actually read the Wikipedia synopsis today and was like, yeah, grand, I'm glad I saved myself 135 minutes there. But like, I it's not, I don't think it's fair to take it out of context because obviously I'm sure this is a big build before you get to this yeah, moment. Yeah, no, like it, it, it doesn't exist in a vacuum. However, um, in the two and a half minutes that have been isolated by the internet, as you say, it's capital A acting it's what I would imagine every fucking perform like school of the performing arts in New York has at their end of year showcases. It's a tough watch. It's really over the top and I think it's kinda silly. But one of my favorite things that came out of this entire like rip the piss thing was one guy being like, This man has never punched a wall in his life <laughs> because he fucking forearms it for starters. Like He's a Marine. He knows how to hit something. <laughs> Apparently not. <laughs> like um, yeah, it, it it is a big scene. Like I I like the movie. I don't love the movie. Um, it this this particular scene, like it's supposed to be so caustic, so acerbic. It like they're saying awful things to each other. It didn't really hit home for me. I just like I think ultimately I didn't really care as much about um, their marriage, their relationships as I should have. Um, just to say, I mentioned the other the other moment of give Adam Driver the Oscar mentioned it before his performance of singing um what's the song he sings from the Sondheim musical from company um being alive i believe it's called actually i still have the wikipedia page open so (laughs) i will just scroll up here really fast he is playing being alive you're correct yeah it's actually that's a great scene and he's a good uh good singer as we i mean we'd find out before but yeah adam driver did you see that thing recently where he walked out of an interview yeah, he, apparently he, he does not like seeing himself. He doesn't watch any of his own work yeah. ever. I yeah. mean, like... That's fair. I guess that's fair enough. You're allowed to do that. I would... I, I wonder had that been um, said to them before? You know, you, you'd imagine, like, everyone who's going in for, you know, a junket, it's like, here's your list of things that you don't talk about. And yeah, yeah, If totally. that's one of them, and that was one of oh, the apparently, things that... No, apparently the, the, the person did know. Uh, apparently the person previously interviewed Adam Driver and knew this, and this was, this was known. Okay. So, well, then, like, that's just that person just being obnoxious. Yeah, and like, then it turns you know, into all these headlines of, like, he stormed out, and I'm like, I'm, no, I'm actually, I'm totally on his side in this one. Yeah, like, yeah. They fucked around, and they shouldn't have done it. Exactly. Um, so, yeah, congratulations, Adam Driver. You uh, escaped Star Wars, you'll be fine. And this scene is, for my money, ridiculous, but enjoyable for its ridiculousness. I'm very much looking forward to everything that he's got coming up. He's got a movie next year with... uh, It's the first English language movie of Leo Carax. Have you ever seen Holy Motors? Oh, I never actually did, no. One of like the true experiences of the decade. Um, I remember going to it in the cinema when I lived in Vancouver. And I kind of had no uh, touch point for like what it might be about, and it's very episodic. 
it is just an experience so i'm very curious to see um what driver can do in this all right staying on the uh downslope i suppose of 2019 the roger ebert memorial award the i hated 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 this movie we have top threes on this one um do you want to go first yeah, well, I just do my number three, and then you can do your number three. Yeah, sure. Although, of course, me being me, I've managed to turn this into... You've got probably like ten movies. No, I, mean, <laughs> I have five. <laughs> like, one of them is an honorable mention, one of them is a tie. Oh, wow. But we can go... Okay, so I'll, I'll get my honorable mention out of the way real okay. quick. Cold Pursuit, starring Liam Neeson. Did you hate this that much? Because I, I, we, we saw this movie together. Yeah. It was a, 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 a trash Tuesday movie. We had two friends with us who walked out halfway through. I turned around and they were gone. Oh, yeah. That's right, yeah. Um, it... A very forgettable movie. Like I, I don't think I hated. I, ha- I can't. I haven't thought about it. Well, no, it is literally forgettable. In that when I was looking over like films released this year, and I saw that one, I was like, oh yeah, that did happen. I mean, it's it's a remake, I believe. Uh, I think the same director made it again. It's a dark comedy, a uh, very dark comedy, like kind of like violent movie. And the more it went on, and the more it did its kind of repetition gag of like killing people off so flagrantly, I just thought it was nasty. I thought I, I thought it had a really it left a really bad taste in my mouth. I thought it was quite a nasty little film, and I didn't like it at all. So I wanted to just throw in there as an honourable mention. I agree that I haven't thought about it much, but once I was reminded of its existence, I was like, oh yeah, that was fucking trash. I just having uh, looked it up again, I forgot that Laura Dern was in that movie. I, until you said that, <laughs> couldn't so. have, couldn't have told you. Uh, okay, so your number three. My number three is a recent addition. It is Six Underground, uh, Michael Bay's new movie. He's apparently done making Transformers films, so now we get to go back to kind of, you know, your Michael Bay actioner. Um, this movie is written by the people who wrote um, the first Deadpool, possibly the second Deadpool, uh, starring Ryan Reynolds. Um, it is borderline unwatchable like it, the the first 15 minutes of this movie will be kind of like the acid test for how much kind of excess that you can handle like My- michael bay's uh, films are like notoriously stuffed to the gills with excess they're 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 pornographic in their portrayal of absolutely everything whether it be a gun or a woman or a car um this movie usually all three this movie begins with so much editing there's so much going on um you've got ryan reynolds basically ryan reynolds is just like his mode now is like sarcastic it's so obnoxious it's well it's not where it it, it works it's always been even though i do not like deadpool it's always been his mode he's just become uber successful at it now yeah it's now accepted um but one of the things that i hate about six underground is that reynolds is doing this but everyone else is doing it it's kind of that way that all the marvel movies once they realized that like tony stark wise quipping was like one of the things that really drew people to the movies then suddenly everyone even doctor strange is suddenly like a one-line machine (laughs) um yeah so it's an incomprehensible film i turned it off after an hour yeah i will say that opening sequence but it was at least was capped off with dave franco getting murdered horrifically i was like good cool i'll take that all day it's it seems like a movie that had been sitting on a pile for like you know, 10 years that Bay just didn't get around to. Even, like, the fact that parkour is, like, a very active thing in this movie. Ben Hardy of and Bohemian it, Rhapsody fame. Be, oh, yeah. Ramping up his own English accent. EastEnders fame, of course. He was, yeah. Um, um, X-Men Apocalypse as well. It, it is very, very, like, a, a really, really high budget, but not as fun and not as knowing Neville Dean Taylor film. What is back, Melanie back Laurent in doing in this movie? 
God, she's getting paid. Getting like you know a summer house somewhere. <laughs> yeah, no, I. It's 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 your typical Bayhem bullshit. It's you know the color palette is out of control. It's just big fucking like vibrant primary colors at you all the time. Uh, it's just explosions and guns and women in underwear and like guys oh, getting killed horrifically and quippy jokes and people getting shot to death and and like literally I was watching it and I was like. Okay, why am I watching this? Fuck it, I'm done. And I just turned it off. And I rarely turn off a movie and don't finish it. But I was just like, it was a curiosity. It's on Netflix. I knew it was going to be vulgar and crass and la 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 la. But I was just like, yeah, no, this just this is the most empty-headed shit ever. Yeah, and also like, you know, one of these movies that's like politically kind of gross in that it's, uh, you know, the the whole plot line is they you know these these people who are ghosts. Uh, they want to right the wrongs in the world and they want to take down a. Uh, a dictator of a fictitious um, kind of East Asian state kind of around, you know, Turkmenistan, Azerbaijan, that kind of area. It, it, it's fictional. And like they're they're very much like critical of this person and what he exists to in their world. But 100% this movie was made in like Abu Dhabi or whatever. Oh, it also starts <laughs> off and like the first thing that flashes on the screen is this movie contains product placement. And I'm like, oh yeah, does. Like, that's usually not a signifier. It must be a lot of product placement, and it is the Heinekens, like the because it's a it's Red a, Bull and it's Monster. A glo- and it's, shit, a glow, like. it's a globe. It's a popping movie, but like no matter where they are, <laughs> there's always a cool Heineken in the fridge, and it's always like, of course, because e- it's even a, in what would be a predominantly Muslim country, <laughs> yeah, shimmering green bottle as well, yeah. with like so much After Effects on it, like yeah, no gross film. My number three is Knives Out. Oh boy, here recently, we go. Recently discussed Knives Out film. Um, I was very happy because we would Norma obviously on the last episode and she hadn't gone to see it, if you recall. Yeah. She then, she then saw it a few days later and agreed with me that it's a terrible film. Uh, I believe she, Justification. Two against one. <laughs> you can throw Dahi into that mix as well. He also hated it. Um, and I don't, you know, him and I tend to like not see eye to eye on films yeah. all the time. Um, and I was just like, thank God, you're on the right side of history, man. Uh, apparently, like when they went to see it in the cinema, they were just like laughing out loud at the end of it. Um, it's, and people were like shushing them. And yeah, I'm, I'm baffled. I mean, it kind of, I think it kind of had a bit of a hot streak. I haven't heard it in the conversation in the last few weeks, but people it's on a lot of year-end lists it's up the top it's very high like you know not to jump ahead it's not anywhere near the top for me i enjoyed it but i don't see the you know master work no not at all and i guess i've i've we've talked at length about it on the previous episode our nightmare before christmas episode so go back and check that out if you want a full review of knives out what is your silver medal it chapter two Ooh, yeah so i think we both agree uh chapter one is a fun movie it's like you know it's like it, it's genuinely a fun house it's like going you know to whatever at halloween you know jump scares the jump scares are good um the design of it is good the kids are all great it looks really nice it's mostly in camera effects with really good makeup and then it chapter two is just like the 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 real excess of the sequel it is so much longer um bigger budget bigger cast like everything is bigger about it and it's like utterly awful like i mean i don't want to go into too much we did talk about i think um, possibly on the fanatic episode i think it was the fanatic episode yeah but yeah just like that first 15 minutes you want to talk about like you know if i'd been at home the ejector seat would have been pulled i would have been (laughs) out of there it's like i do not need to see you know vicious hate crime um 
you know, child abuse, domestic abuse, male suicide, suicide. Yeah. like all in the space of like bat. five minutes. Like, you're yeah. Like, Whoa. And then to service a movie about a fucking shape-shifting clown. Yeah. I mean, I didn't hate it as much as you did. I definitely think it falls apart. There were actually parts of it that did work for me emotionally. I, I found some of it very affecting, but it's just, it's dressed up in way too much. It's way too much excess. It's way too much terrible jump scares, bad CGI, every scene kind of having the same rhythm, it being way too long. It's just being kind of silly. I enjoyed some of the performances. I thought Bill Hader was good. Hader was good, yeah. I thought... I, I, Chastain I, is uh, always Bill good. Bill Skarsgård, very good. Chastain was fine. Um, it's, yeah, it just, it didn't... It, it didn't know what it wanted to be. The balance is off. Like, the tone is, is crazy in that film. Because, like, at one point, you're like, that's very affecting and sad. And then in the next scene, there's, like, really bad one-liners like that Ryan Reynolds would reject. So, it just didn't... It didn't stick the landing at all. It's a shame. I think. It, I think you know you could have made a really great it movie, and overall you you didn't. Yeah. Oh, just one honorable mention, just because we're um, it's we're Christmas. talking about it. Chapter two. Um, obviously, James McAvoy's in it. Dark Phoenix came very close until I saw Six Underground. Dark Phoenix was like my number three. I haven't seen it. Not a great year for McAvoy. We also didn't love Glass. Glass. Yeah. So that's three. <laughs> I'm sure it was a good High year. High profile I'm in, sure, in, in, on the bank balance. Yeah, yeah, bank balance, I'm sure he did very well. Yes. But critically, perhaps not. Uh, yeah, real quick, Dark Phoenix, is it, is it as bad as we think it is? Um, it's just ugh, such a mess of a film. It looks terrible. Um, they, they Apparently, they had to like massively reshoot the movie off the back of it. It, it was very similar to Captain Marvel. So like they just have this like nonsense on a train. Um yeah, just like you can tell that everyone is just sick of being in those films, even though apparently they were all out of contract and they were like, we'll come back for one more. And it's like, <laughs> you, you, you had an out. You could have just disappeared into the night. But I think that they were like, you know, we'll do this before, you know, those shills over at Disney take us over. And, like, you know, I don't think he's the greatest actor to ever live. But what is Michael Fassbender doing in these movies? Oh, move on yeah <laughs> you're better than this i mean er, that's the thing everyone is and it was weird because like everyone kind of you know mcavoy probably had a, a bit more you know a bit more of a, a catalog before first class but like it was very early in fastbender's career it was obviously very early in jennifer lawrence's career and they obviously got locked in and it was just like oh god they're too big for the movies now but like they also kind of have to be there yeah 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 but, and it, but like the people who are making them aren't that interested in making movies about those characters anymore they want to bring back in like Cyclops or whatever well it's done I mean like like until it is done until Disney decided to reboot it in about 10 years it is done it's over yeah what a damn squib of a franchise the greatest of superhero franchises and that's 12, saying 12 movies in total Jesus fucking Christ I think it's 12 no, I, I guess because uh, the two Deadpools count so at least we got Logan I mean that's, yeah. a, that's good that's a genuinely good film. Watch that and nothing else. My number two, I'm cheating here. It's a tie. So I've got, I've crowbarred two films in here. Uh, both critically acclaimed, I think, for the most part. Divisive films uh, both look great and have, you could argue, some great performances within them. But overall, I found both of them to be uh, highly problematic, um, kind of stupid, and overall just bafflingly ponderous and not great. It's Midsummer and Joker. <laughs> There's a double bill. <laughs> what a double bill. Yeah, I mean, again, I've, I've talked myself, I've, I've thrown off myself on these movies. Uh, Midsummer, Ari Aster, to me, is not the future horror or the present. Same with Hereditary. Great first act. And then, even though he did the same thing again with this one, 
and then I just didn't really like where it went. I thought I like I'm, one of my big bugbears in movies is characters doing dumb things, uh, especially that leads to their fucking death. And there's lots of that in Midsummer. I thought the thesis of the film was very off. I don't think it actually made a lot of sense. Uh, I think, you know, you started with a really compelling ending shot in mind and then you reverse engineered and went towards it as hard as you possibly could, even though it doesn't make any sense. I think Florence Pugh is a star. Um, I think Jack Rayner did a very good job. I think it looks good. Uh, it sounds fine. Had some moments of like, oh my God, horror. But in, in general, I'm sorry, you can't just rip off The Wicker Man and tell me that you're this fucking bold auteur. It didn't work for me at all. And I found some of the hyperbolic praise around it to be just mystifying. You could say all the same for fucking Joker. I mean, we've talked it out at this stage. People have taken that film to their bosom to such a degree that I just find it kind of baffling and strange. It's got a great performance. It looks good. Todd Phillips, to his credit, directed the shit out of it. I didn't care for any of what it had to say. On any level, like on a surface level and on a subtext level. The the issue is that that the movie did not have anything to say on any level. Uh, I'm, uh, I'm completely, glad people, completely uh, surface level I'm glad people didn't get killed basically but um, that, contrib- that, that controversy didn't come to the fore uh, don't give me a sequel they will I don't want one <laughs> yeah I don't, I don't know how you go into a sequel because you know I, I don't know how you flip the switch on um, this interpretation of the Joker being like someone kind of charismatic which is what we're used to with Jack Nicholson and Heath Ledger and Cesar Romero and Mark Hamill in the cartoons like this was just like this is a damaged person you know this could be a joker but like it it was so removed from it even though it tried to kind of make some connective tissue to a batman movie in the future there's there's no way that this iteration becomes someone that people would follow you know there's no there's no world damaged enough that this person who couldn't hold a conversation with you but for some you know for some reason can like flip Flip the once the, the the cameras come on and suddenly be like charming in front of Murray Franklin and you know win people over. I don't you don't think you can sustain it for another film. Like it was already pushing the levels of uh, credibility that um, you know the murder, the brutal murder of, of a couple of you know what were essentially like interns at a uh, at like a Wall Street firm whose crime was being kind of gross and liking Stephen Sondheim musicals. I, I can't see a world where that is what, you know, turns everyone. Um, yeah, this movie, like, I didn't hate it as much as you. Like, I, I don't have it on the list, mostly because it does have a really good performance in it and it does look nice. And it is nice to see a bit of money spent on, you know, set design and like that that aspect of it and like recreating an environment it was pleasant to look at but not pleasant to think about what's your number one most hated villain of 2019 made a brief reference to it earlier it is adam mckay's vice let's have a quick blast of some of the closing moments of that movie in which christian bale addresses the camera in this world we saw three thousand Innocent people burned to death by those monsters. And yet you object when I refuse to kiss those monsters on the cheek and say, pretty please, you answer me this. What terrorist attack would you have let go forward so you wouldn't seem like a mean and nasty fella? I will not apologize for keeping your family safe. And I will not apologize for doing 
what needed to be done so that your loved ones can sleep peaceably at night. There you go. Yeah. Um, so this is the kind of movie I think that if I had saw when I was 16 would have been like, yeah, this man is out here talking the truth. <laughs> it was like back in the time when I was younger and I would have read Stupid White Men. You know, I would have been like completely in, enamored Did the with, same, with yeah. Michael Moore's, um, you know, take on what was happening in the world. I think I've mentioned it to you before. And this is a very embarrassing thing for me to say but I was young I went to see Bowling for Columbine three times in the cinema <laughs> I gave it the once upon a time in Hollywood <laughs> wow um, wow servicing um, <laughs> if, if, if anyone's been watching even like the other guys Adam McKay is clearly a he's angry about things and you know that hasn't necessarily come true in like Anchorman Taldega Knight's Step Brothers which are all classics I think of comedy but at the end of the other guys, he had he had a bit where there, there was a, like a storyline of like you know financial malpractice going on throughout that, and like the end credits is basically like this is happening in the world. Wake up, sheep! And I was like, oh, this is like a bit out of place. Um, so then he kind of moves on to the big short, an enjoyable film, but a movie that definitely to an extent condescends is condescending towards its audience. Um, the fact that it brings in people to explain things. They get away with it. This movie is just awful. It has such disregard for the viewer. It is so incredibly proud of itself and how clever and how funny that it thinks it is. Um, it has an amazing cast. None of them are in any way good. It has one or two good gags. There's like a, there's a there's a an ongoing gag where Dick Cheney has a heart attack. And it's it's underplayed very, very well by Christian Bale. But, like, aside from that, I'm kind of over, you know, Christian Bale putting on weight, <laughs> being like, this is what acting is. Um, I don't get... I don't get the love of, like, Rockwell as Bush. It was just, like, it was pretty bog-standard. Um, Steve Carell as Rumsfeld was just like, you know, I'm... I am basically the devil, you know. I'm I'm a piece of shit. I'm a I'm a rat fucker to uh, to borrow a term from Succession, um, which Adam McKay actually has a big hand in doing much better there. And then like Amy Adams is basically kind of doing a a redo of her performance in The Master, where she's like, oh, is like, is she the one pulling the strings? It's like just an obnoxious, toxic piece of garbage. You want to talk about obnoxious? toxic pieces of garbage my number one let's have a little blast of the trailer of this movie shall we hello son made me a goddamn weapon where's my fucking violin listen up ladies and gentlemen out there there's a fifth century sorceress who wants to bring down the curtain on London and the world great Homework. Why do you fight for those who hate and fear you? You were meant for this. Out of the ashes, new Eden will emerge. Okay, I'd appreciate a prophecy with more relatable. That's Hellboy 2019. Um, a, a disgusting film. Like, like 
the most disgusting film I think I've, I've seen in some time. You're like you're talking about like you know casual murder and particularly when like you know hell is opened and these giant beasts come forth from the ground and just gore 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 neil marshall directed this one someone who i used to think highly of i mean i love the descent it's a phenomenal film dog soldiers, dog soldiers was good. good like a, a good guy who worked really well his game of thrones stuff is very good yeah. as well and then he made like a bunch of kind of crap movies like centurion and uh doomsday but you kind of hold out hope because like i say the, the descent in particular in 2005 was one of the great horror films i've ever seen i remember seeing it in the cinema and just being like shaken by it um whereas hellboy and like hellboy is a property i quite like um based solely off the Del Toro movies, which I think are masterpieces of what they are. I mean, like, they're not fucking, of course, cinema verite or anything, but, like, with both films, in particular the second one, I just love the world building. I love the Del Toro imagination. I thought the casting was nailed on, especially Ron Perlman. Uh, I liked how, how weird it was. I, I just, I fell in love with those movies, in particular, like, when the first one came out in 2004, and really went to bat for those films. Really wanted the third one that was set up and that we're never going to get because of, you know not making enough money and Del Toro falling out with uh, Hellboy creator Mike Mignola so we get this fucking reboot actually Hellboy 2 interestingly was like the number one American uh, film in the American box office the week before The Dark Knight came along and put an end to that but like yeah so Del Toro and Hellboy is done they've rebooted it and this sounded like vaguely promising it was like you know post Deadpool post Logan it's an or rating okay cool they can do something dark with this fine David Harbour gets cast no Ron Perlman but you know enjoyable character actor yeah. and maybe could bring something to the role um, Neil Marshall directing Ian McShane's on board Mila Jovovich is on board uh, Daniel Day Kim from Lost who I quite like Ian McShane is the John Hurt yeah, the John Hurt character, his his surrogate father. And like a perfectly per- perfect person to put in a movie like that. Totally, yeah. And then you've got like Sasha Lane, his rising actor from American Honey. And you're like, this could totally work. And then it turns out to be the most repugnant. Uh, Stephen Graham is doing a voice of it. Like, you know, like, like the most repugnant film I've seen in some time. Uh, just really nasty, incomprehensible, uh, like mean-spirited is what it is. Um, Hellboy himself, like you've gone from Ron Perlman, uh, who manages to make this odd-looking character quite lovable, and you have this version of him now where he looks like he's been strung out on heroin for like 12 days in a row. <laughs> His hair is disgusting. His coat is like lank and ripped. The face makeup is really like revolting. Um, and, every, and every character in this film is a prick. Everyone's mean. Everyone's an asshole. Everyone's quipping. Everyone's cursing. It's orated, baby. Again, if I was like 16, I probably, I probably think it was amazing. Yeah. It's just nasty. It's gross. The plot is all over the gaff. It makes no sense on any kind of coherent level. It's ugly to look at. It is just toxic and vile and gross. I had a hard time watching it for two hours, and everyone involved should be fucking thoroughly ashamed of themselves. Don't ever watch this film, ever. I won't. Okay, so up next, the I Just Couldn't Be Bothered Seeing This Award. So, uh, essentially, as it says in the tin, films that you just couldn't bother taking the time for. My top three, in reverse order, I guess, it doesn't really matter, are all under the Disney banner, I believe. Uh, Dumbo, because I just hate the look of it and I have no interest in the story. Toy Story 4, because I've kind of followed that chapter of my life away. That toy box, for me, has gone back in the attic and Captain Marvel I just don't care for it at all and it's not some kind of weird oh my god powerful woman in a superhero movie thing uh, just thought it looked kind of shite uh, not mad about Brie Larson don't need a 90s set Marvel nothing movie um, it, it felt like one you could skip basically uh, yeah I the character is also way too overpowered like, very it just very really, skippable yeah. um, didn't really do a great job of establishing 
the powers of Captain Marvel went from being like, oh, I can kind of shoot energy out of my arms to I can fly through a spaceship and take that down. And yeah, um, it kind of felt like it was trying to jump on the back of like the kind of jukebox vibe of Guardians of the Galaxy with all its 90s needle drops. It wasn't great at all. Um, my three were Midway. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, Roland Emmerich's uh, take on uh, the Battle of Midway. Um, which I saw described as um, Walmart Pearl Harbor. Like to, to, put, to put it this way, there already is a movie about the Battle of Midway that was shot by John Ford actually at the Battle of Midway back in the day. So like, if anyone is in any way interested in, in this movie Midway, watch uh, there's a doc- documentary on Netflix called Five Came Back, which is basically about all the big Hollywood directors of the time like uh, John Ford, John Huston. Um, Frank Capra basically making propaganda films to combat Lenny Riefenstahl. It's fantastic. Um, so don't bother with Roland Emmerich doing it with a Jonas brother. Um, and then my two and my one are Aladdin and the Lion King. No interest in <laughs> Disney. Disney's live action, um, you know, interpretations of movies. I don't even have that much fondness for that's fair. Yeah. Uh, the Nobody Actually Needed This Film Award, which I swear is actually a different award, uh, despite your protestations. Well, I, I have se- I've seen all the movies that are on my uh, award list. Okay, so. I haven't seen my third one. <laughs> okay. But I, I just find the existence of the film to be absolutely hilarious. The Current War. So this is like um, Nikola Tesla um, versus Thomas Edison. <laughs> like, uh, I'm, okay, am I right in saying, I'm guessing here because I'm trying to remember, is it Benedict Cumberbatch? Cumberbatch is Edison. Michael Shannon? Is not, no, Nicholas Holt is Tesla. Right. And l- let everyone be reminded that at one stage in our life, David Bowie played <laughs> Nikola Tesla. <laughs> yes, he did. <laughs> I just can't believe that this film exists and that it's called The Current War. I'm like, who is this fucking for? I yeah. saw the posters, I saw the trailers, and I it became, like, myself and Mick Pope were just, like, laughing at this. We were like, what the fuck? There's, yeah, it, it, it's like, it's Tom, Hoop, it's Tom Hooper territory. There are prestige filmmakers who can't get their films made, or have to go to Netflix, like Scorsese and the Irishman or whatever, to get their passion projects made. Meanwhile, we're making The Current War. Yeah, I mean, that's all you need to say about it. I want to look up the box office as you give me your number three. My number three is Toy Story 4. A movie I liked, but why are we here toy story 3 was like a perfect ending to that um it feels that disney's kind of stranglehold on pixar is becoming more and more evident as they like seem like they have to churn out sequels where they kind of used to just be doing their own thing um again a totally fine film i can't remember a thing about it i'll catch you on or too on christmas day in like five years um the current war budget 30 million dollars Worldwide box office take. What do you think? Six. 11.3. Okay. There you go. Nobody wanted that fucking movie, guys. All right. Your number two. Uh, my number two in the Nobody Needed This Film Award is Velvet Buzzsaw, which has Jake Gyllenhaal doing his character actor big eye bullshit. Uh, I say big eye bullshit. I like Jake, of course. He's great. Yeah. Reuniting with Dan Gilroy, who we made Nightcrawler with, which is a very enjoyable film. It is, although I... I didn't love it and I do think it's nasty um, Velvet Buzzsaw is a Netflix film um, it stars Rene Russo Jake Gyllenhaal Tony Collette um, a few others who I'm forgetting you it's, one from Stranger Things Natalie Sawyer oh yeah she's, in, she's it. in it Natalia Dyer yeah she's in yeah, it um, so like basically long story short it's a an art satire film you know that big genre that we all love um, it's essentially like it's it's not too a million miles away from my favorite book, House of Leaves, in which somebody finds 
uh, old remnants of something in a in, like in in a house, and it begins to destroy people's lives essentially. Um, they find paintings by this unknown uh, person who died mysteriously, and they're basically cursed and haunted. And anyone who comes into contact with them and wants to profit from them dies a ironic death in an artful fashion. Uh, like spoilers, Tony Collette gets her arm ripped off by this kind of phantasm style orb thing, and everyone thinks it's a it's an art installation until, of course, a kid steps in her blood and screams, "Yay!" Um, Billy Magnuson's in it as well. That guy who's kind of on the rise. Yes. Um, it's it's garbage. It's absolute terror. It's 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 perfunctory. It's rote. It has nothing to say. It's not funny. It's not interesting. The characters are ciphers. Um, I saw some good reviews for it, but most people thought it was terrible. Uh, Gillen Hall plays an art critic, and you know, like 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 all journalists, myself included, he's also you know ripped to shreds. So it's like I don't think so, mate. Uh, no, it's he's but, on the Mysterio uh, diet. <laughs> he but he, like, this he movie. literally, like, I want to say, like like he has like a nude scene, and I'm like, what the fuck? Like you know, fine, you know, great looking man, but like it doesn't make sense. The film is just an absolute mess. It's terrible, right down to the fucking name of it. Don't watch it. Uh, my number two is Glass. Um, <laughs> I think our first film in the cinema this year. Our first film in the cinema this year. A a trash Tuesday uh, outing. Extravaganza. Yeah. Like, I did not like Split. I'm a big fan of the movie Unbreakable. So the fact that they have folded in a movie uh, that I quite like into something that I did not like, I was immediately coming into Glass being like, okay, I'm not really feeling this. Uh, in fairness to it, it looks pretty okay. You know, it looks all right. Um Bruce Willis is sleepwalking through this film. Amazing. I mean, you would, you would think that at least he would try and raise his game for what it, he apparently really wanted to do this. Yeah. Um, I, yeah, I just found it so boring. I did not need a, you know, a TED talk from Samuel L. Jackson about comic books, like <laughs> <laughs> for the centerpiece of the film. It ends really weirdly. It, it ends it, really, it, really, it really ends weirdly. quite literally like a fart. It's just like but. spoilers as well. I mean, like talk about like taking these characters who could have potential and just being like, I'm done with you. Yeah. Bruce Willis's demise in particular is I, I was stunned. Hilarious. Stunned. That's how he's that's how you're getting rid of this card. Holy fuck. And then, yeah, conspiracy ending. No, bad movie. My number one. This does not need to exist. Movie is El Camino, a breaking bad movie. I what? agree. I think I talked about this uh, a couple episodes before. Um, it's just not needed I mean no, the, not at all when I heard it was happening I was like this isn't needed at all uh, like we it, it like it ended we had an ending it was a decent ending you know it's grand I don't need the epilogue but then the film gives me gives you more of Jesse Pinkman and then gives you the same ending him driving off into the fucking freedom again like nah not good no one needed it bad movie my number one I'm surprised this is I don't know if it's appeared anywhere uh, Serenity Oh yeah, did yeah, we, did yeah. We, let's not forget Serenity came out this year. Matthew McConaughey. Although I say nobody needed actually needed this, but I was happy to watch it because <laughs> it is just one of the weirdest, wildest films that you'll ever see. Um, I don't know how this script got past anyone or anyone looked at it and was like, "Yeah, it's got you know two huge actors in the lead role." really committing as well to the lead role it's like nobody's nobody's taking the Bruce Willis approach here uh, especially Jason Clark. well you know yeah I wasn't even including Jason Clark, but yeah eating the scenery chomping it down <laughs> uh, Jeremy Strong from Succession basically being <gasps> that was him yeah because I oh my god because I watched like I didn't you watched a pre-watching Succession and oh he like, my god yeah because like you probably like if you rewatch the big short you'll be like oh you know he, he pops up you know he's been around for a while like he hasn't just kind of come out of nowhere but yeah he's he's in there too um 
like it's it's an immensely watchable film I just don't it's the definition of people slumming it I, I have no idea it's also a film that pauses the idea that Diane Lane is unattractive which is yeah. bizarre <laughs> like okay <laughs> alright movie you really couldn't hire anybody else okay fair enough into the biggest disappointments of the year My honourable mention for me uh, Irishman not having a gimme shelter needle drop <laughs> You got Fair. three and a half hours, Marty. Fair. Where is my gimme shelter? <laughs> Uh, but yeah my biggest disappointments list I will say like I mean the last kind of couple of awards we've had here have been very much like cannon fodder I've got three films in this list here that I think are not bad films per se but and films I had high expectations for that didn't quite meet and it doesn't necessarily mean that I didn't like them either so at number three a film that I do like a film that I fucking begged for when the when the second one approached its end credits I was like I can't wait for the third one of this movie I only want a third movie. End it there. Great. John Wick, Chapter 3, Parabellum. I just found it to be exhausting. I hit the fatigue thing that a lot of people I know felt in the second movie. You know, headshot fatigue and whatever else. I, I hit that early on in this one. I was like, mm, I mean, this is fine. And then it ends with a tease for a fourth one. And I was like, no, just wrap it up. Like, Get out while the getting's good, you know? I like this film, but Jesus, too much. Yeah, I agree. It, it starts really, really well. Um, I will make my second reference to basketball <laughs> of the podcast. Uh, the fight that he has with Boban Marjanovic. Who uh, goes out like a fucking champ. Yeah, that's great. And like, I, he's has already, he's such a, an interesting face to look at. He's obviously like, he's seven foot four. It's a great one scene fight to have with someone like that as like a henchman. Um and then even like the the knife throwing is, is great. That's great. Yeah. But yeah, it's like once you start walking out into the desert and you know, it, like they they really tried to open the world up and like that's kind of been one of the the upsides of it is that like it has this kind of very lived in world with the Continental Hotel and like all the rules that exist and like the Bowery King. I feel like they stretched it way too far in this. Um I also yeah. feel like as well, I mean, like, uh, Hiroki Sanada was originally cast as the main villain and he left the project. He didn't, hopefully he didn't leave to be in that one scene in Avengers Endgame. Uh, the rumor is that he fucking did. Oh God. To cameo in Avengers with a wordless insta murder. Um, replaced by Mark Dacascos, who brings a level of kind of geek dead charisma that the actor himself has in real life. And I've read interviews with the guy and like, you know, God bless him this is the role of his life. He's so happy to have it. And he's great in the film. I just would have rather have had Sonata's kind of icy presence in there. Yeah. At least the guys from the raid who they brought in got to actually have a fight scene as opposed good. to Star Wars. Look, it's gorgeous looking. I'm into the Keanu Renaissance. I'll take a fourth John Wick film. I just felt a little bit like the train had left the station for me. Yeah, so, I agree. What's your number three? My number three is Wine Country. I don't know what this is. Um, it's a comedy film uh, produced, directed by Amy Poehler, starring Amy Poehler with kind of um, her um, SNL crew from, you know, back in the late, to, late 2000s, 2008, 2009. So it's her, Rachel Dratch, um, Maya Rudolph, Paula Pell, Tina Fey. It's basically, they're going for, I think it's like someone's turning 50 and they go to like the Napa Valley, they rent an Airbnb and they're going to drink wine and hang out for the weekend. Like a very this movie should be easy like they're all incredibly funny women um put them together let them just you know ad lib let loose it's like so boring <laughs> they try to add drama into it where like it doesn't really need it um yeah there's not there's not a lot to it like you know great cast but 
Not a lot of laughs. Number two for me, we mentioned it already. Jordan Peele's follow-up to Get Out. It's Us. It has some great stuff in it. Uh, it looks gorgeous. I think Lupita Nyong'o does a really good job in particular. I just didn't like what I had to say. I thought it was silly. I thought it was convoluted. It felt rushed. And yeah. And the, I mean, it must have been because like Get Out was... 2017. Yeah, okay. By the end of it, it felt really like, oh no. Like you've taken a very interesting premise. I like the premise, like the trailer, love the use of I've Got Five on it. Uh, but by the time the more went on and the more kind of, you know, like let's open up this lore kind of stuff and just the, the convolutions and the coincidences and what it's really saying, man, about the world. Yeah, not for me, not at all. Yeah, um, it, it kind of, it peaks about halfway through where the, the kind of, you have the first, confrontation between the tethered and the, and the family and there's like there's a great line where it's like who are you and it's just uh, red's response is like we're americans and it's like leave it there and let the movie be creepy but as you say it veers into james bond um author of all your pain yeah. yeah and again like it does look really nice it's got some like lovely split diopter shots of of red in the foreground and like there's lots to admire about it but yeah a bit it felt more like a drop ball than like an outright failure. Or anything. Yeah, but like I just, I'm, I'm 100% I'll be there day one whenever Jordan Peele does something again. Like, me too, yeah, for it, sure. It is important to say that this was like the highest grossing original film of the year. It's good that someone like him can come and have, you know, a unique voice and do something that maybe we haven't seen before. Everyone's going to have a misfire. I don't think it's anything to worry about. No, it isn't at all. I just felt that it... And it, it, it did not in any way have the cultural footprint that Get Out did either. Like, it just yeah, didn't. and it, it was definitely reaching for it as well. You, you could tell with the way, like, even the idea of the Thettered was, you know, trying to go on the back of, like, the, the sunken place. It's like, you know, th- these will be things you'll be reading, uh, you know, political commentary in the New York Times, and then suddenly you see a reference to this, and it's like... It kind of felt like it was reaching for that. And it didn't happen. It yeah. didn't happen. I will also say that I think the fuck the police gag is also really, really, really weak. It's terrible. And everyone was like, that's so funny. I was like, no, it isn't. What's uh, what's two for you? My number two, uh, you've already mentioned it, Velvet Buzzsaw. Yeah, just a drop <laughs> ball. I mean, um, Gyllenhaal, Dan Gilroy, I, I agree with you. Uh, Nightcrawler is a nasty movie. I think it is deliberately nasty um, in what it's trying to say about media. It is pretty broad in what it's trying to say about media. I thought that they'd be able to apply the same thing here to the art world, but yeah, just like a mess. Like, d- doesn't not satirical enough, not scary enough. Just it's like, by the numbers as well. Yeah, like um, even like in terms of like characters. Now it's your time to die. Like that kind of thing. It was just yeah. very like kind of rote. Uh, number one for me in biggest disappointments, the recently viewed Ad Astra, Brad Pitt in space movie, David. baby. Brad Pitt's daddy issues in space. I was so hyped for this film. I missed it in the cinema just because of like I just missed it. Um, loved the trailer obviously big Brad Pitt fan I think it's been his year in a lot of respects in some ways um, with this one I like it looks gorgeous it's got some great sound design the score could be better because I, I think it's kind of too many cooks in the kitchen type thing with that one uh, James Gray a director who's always left me quite cold but I really really did like The Lost City of Zed a film that no one saw um, with this I mean first of all I thought it was just a little bit kind of totally askew didn't quite know what it wanted to be the big crime of this film in which by the way i think brad pitt is phenomenal the big crime of this movie and i just can't believe that this happened the voiceover the voiceover that brad pitt's character has constantly throughout this film that is telling you what you're watching is harrison ford blade runner you know deliberately recorded badly eventually excised and totally removed from the film like you have that bit at the end of Blade Runner, that amazing ending where Rick O'Hara saves him, 
spoilers for a film from 1982 there by the way um and like it's a stunning fucking incredible thing you know exactly what it means and then in the voiceover in the original cut brad pitt or brad pitt, harrison ford is like i don't know why he saved me maybe it's because he finally learned to respect life and perhaps humans and it's like for fuck's sake they got rid of that for a reason and that's all over ad astra every time brad pitt speaks it's his internal monologue telling you in the back row fucking making out with your girlfriend what's going on you don't need to pay attention to what's on the screen here's brad pitt telling you and there are so many instances of this that are just they take you out of the movie they destroy the sense of immersion there's one in particular towards the end of the movie where like he's docking and going to like his destination and brad pitt goes the sins of the father (laughs) it was like am i playing a fucking metal gear solid game where i expect that to be a part of the experience no you've ruined your film james gray what the hell happened um, I will respond to what you said a little bit later in the podcast. Fine. What's your number one disappointment? Uh, my number one, again, Jake Gyllenhaal, The Sisters Brothers. Oh, yeah. Um, this was a movie... You're that, trying to get me to go to this. Yeah, that, yeah. that I was so excited for. Uh, the English language debut of Jacques Odiard made a profit. And Rustin Bone, a, an incredible French filmmaker, um, is coming to make a movie in America has a cast of Joaquin Phoenix, John C. Riley, um, the late Rooker Hauer, um, who has one scene looking out a window and then the next scene he is in a coffin. He does not have a line. That is not a spoiler. Um, and Jake Gyllenhaal. Um, this movie would seem like it was made for me. Um, it is a kind of like a, a tragedy comedy about um, two brothers kind of like in the, in the old West. It is just so forgettable um, it's not funny at all and there's no drama in it like the performances are like fairly by the numbers I think everyone else probably did better work this year including Jill Hall and I do not like Veva Bussa it's like a more interesting performance um, yeah it just let me down terribly alright well let's uh, let's change the complexion of this now and get into some nice positive awards uh, most pleasant surprises I only have a couple here and I'll kind of group them in as one I thought Fighting With My Family the Florence Pugh starring wrestling film made by WWE Films based on the life and times of Paige um, I mean I saw the documentary on channel four years ago it's got it's made under the, the WWE umbrella produced with The Rock who also has a cameo or two in the movie made by Stephen Merchant also stars Lena Headey and Nick Frost and your man whose name I can't remember from Dunkirk who's a good actor Scottish guy Jack Loudon I think is his name oh, Jack Loudon um, basically this film like is in some respects it's WWE propaganda and that was always going to be the case in other respects it actually does manage to kind of uh, drill down into the heart of a, a genuinely good story about a working class wrestler who made it all the way to WWE and had some struggles now as a wrestling fan myself I, I recognise the themes and I recognise when they're actually like changing the narrative and make little kind of changes here and there but overall i think as like a 90 minute movie it's actually really feel good it's done very well and once again florence Pugh is legitimately a star she's great she's got everything and she's fucking 23 which is terrifying it's ridiculous it's insane like her her cv already is legitimately extremely impressive and it's only going to go better from here and it's a really it's just a fun it's a very easy turn off your brain watch and i guess we covered it on an episode and i think during the episode i kind of realized i liked a lot more rocket man the elton john biopic i also rocket man's my number two by the way no way yeah it's just i mean look i didn't i don't need it to be more than it is i think they hit the mark perfectly well and the songs are undeniable and i think we we both went into that movie a little bit apprehensive like, oh do you oh, this I, I, is I gonna be I saw a tough on, like one. the last like, day of release yeah, so i was like we ugh. weren't even though i think i'd been like oh i think i liked it more than i would have thought saying it to you but 
Yeah, there was major apprehension going into that just because we'd been burned by uh, Bohemian Rhapsody so, so bad. bad. Yeah. <laughs> um, I watched Fighting Woman Family, by the way, on the plane. Perfectly fine, enjoyable film. Yeah, I'm very throwaway. so excited about Florence Pugh's future. She's fucking great. She's phenomenal. Yeah. Um, do you have a one? Or? No, that's pretty much it, yeah. I, I think it's because I just didn't get cinema that much this year. Yeah. Um, I, I, I didn't dive in a lot of stuff that I wasn't expecting to, I think, you know. I have Longshot. Do you know Longshot? Um, Seth Rogen and Charlize Theron. Oh, right, yes, yes. So yes, basically, yes. Charlize Theron plays uh, the US Secretary of State. Uh, Seth Rogen plays kind of like a, a Vice-esque journalist. Um, it's got my man in it, doesn't it? It's got your guy, O'Shea Jackson Jr., yeah. owns some kind of tech company. Andy Serkis is there as a basically a stand-in for Rupert Murdoch with insane makeup on. Um, <laughs> it's a rom-com. It's a very fun rom-com. Like, Charlie Theron can do anything. There is a scene in this movie where the two of them take ecstasy, listen to Caribou, and then she has to, like, solve, like, a state crisis of, like, getting hostages released while she's, like, off her face. It's a lot of fun. It's very easy. It's probably a little bit too long. It kind of has that Apatowian, just like, you know, what happened to 90-minute comedies. Um, but yeah, really, really enjoyed it. What um, else you got? I also have Rocket Man. And then my number one, um, I didn't really have a, a place to kind of talk about that this year was actually pretty good for documentaries. Um, Apollo 11 kind of really surprised me. Um, it kind of just looked from the outside like a pretty kind of bog-standard CBS doc a lot of talking heads um but it wasn't that it was this like very very emotive um big movie where they just un out of nowhere kind of found or, or they've been sitting on it like 70 millimeter footage of the actual launch and there is no talking heads it's all just like the people there it's really atmospheric it gets you involved and like it's quite touching i don't know um if it's a good companion piece to First Man, which was out the year before. Um, yeah, it just like really, really surprised me um, and loved it. All right, quick bathroom break. Be right back. So moving on to best score, what was the best sounding movie of the year? Uh, again, I found it difficult to get three out of this, and I'm sure there will be ones that I'll be like, oh yeah, of course. But for me, Head and Shoulders Above the Rest was uh, Nicholas Bertel, and if Beale Street could talk, which sounds a bit like this. on your list too I assume this is my number one yeah I yeah. mean come on the minute like, I heard it I think it was like one of the first movies I probably saw this year in the cinema um, I think I've talked before about my uh, inability but now my ability to cry watching a film and <laughs> just Eden Harlem um, get me got me like straight away it's got, such got a, a, a it's such a a somber yet weirdly hopeful score it's um, wonderfully romantic 
it's just like a fantastic piece of work. I know it's one of those things, like, it's always a cliche to be like, well, you know, the score or the music is a character, the location is a character or whatever. But, like, in this case, it legitimately is. Yeah. It's just, it's astonishing. Uh, didn't win the Oscar, right? It did not. Uh, did Black Panther beat it? Black Panther did win. I like the Black Panther score. I, I mean, say. it's, it's, it's very good. good it, it did something. It's it's the most memorable Marvel score easily. Oh, yeah, um, without question. Looking forward to seeing what uh, Ludwig Gornson does with tennis yeah. next year. Yeah. Um, you, do you have anything else in here to, to note? No, I pretty much like, like, like this was just head and shoulders. Like, like, yeah. It's like, it, I, I've it gone is back to it. It is far better than anything. I've gone back to it so often. I just find it works wonderful as a standalone piece. The film itself is gorgeous and the music helps a lot. So yeah, if Beale Street could talk by Nicholas Bertel, who of course is also responsible for the Succession theme tune, which I mean, like I'll throw that in there as well. Why not? It's amazing. Why not? What else you Even got? Even though it's from last year, but <laughs> ah, no, 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 I only got to it this year. Therefore, like it only counts for me. What, uh, uh, what else you got? Two things to note: uh, Bobby Krill's work on Midsommar um, is really good. The levels of anxiety that he pushes in in this in this movie with it uh, is good um, and really stuck with me. Um, I find it interesting that Ari Aster is like really going outside the box to kind of get composers. Like he had Colin Stetson, who's I would know is a saxophonist who works with Bad 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 Bad, Bad Not Good a lot uh, to do Hereditary, which was great. Which oh, and again a great score. Uh, my number two is Ad Astra, uh, Max Richter, and Lauren Balf. As you said, like. It, it's a bit all over the place in terms of score. It seemed like um, they had to get back in the studio and like Max Richter originally made this like very ponderous contemplative um, score and then Lauren Balfe was kind of brought in to give it a little bit more oomph for some of the bigger scenes that I feel might have been kind of came after, you know, testing and audiences were like a little bit cold on it. I still think it's amazing, though. They're both wonderful pieces of work. I'll also give a shout-out to the engine that is currently running outside your gaff uh, by that workman who is still there and the rock hammer that he appears to have broken out in a tribute to the Shawshank Redemption, I can only assume. <laughs> Best Needle Drop, which is a song choice in a movie. Uh, again, I only really have one here because I thought about this and I'm out with my gut. And yeah, fine, obvious. But like, uh, I did pick one from Once Upon a Time in Hollywood and I picked At a Time by the Rolling Stones, which sounds like this. Because that comes at a pivotal moment in the movie. It comes at the very end of the film as it's entering its last act. And it gives you, like, all I can think about is the all those neon signs lighting up, the Hollywood strip uh, at the time. One thing, you know, whether you love this movie, whether you hate this movie, I think one thing you have to give it credit for is production design. Uh, Tarantino legitimately brought you back to... Remarkable. Like, they were apparently were rebuilding places, closing down roads. Like, the, the, the sheer effort that went into it is remarkable. And just that moment of, like... This is, uh, you know, especially the first time you see the film, you're not 100% sure where it's going to go. And then even once you do know where it's going to go, this thing of like one last great big bash, one last big night out before darkness falls. And uh, that Rolling Stone song to me just works perfectly. Um, it crawled out of the film for me. It became its own kind of thing. And I love the usage of it. It's a fucking cracking song anyway. And it just works perfectly with the sentiment of the film, the heart of the film. So yeah, that's yeah. my number one by a mile. 
It, you know, it, it's great. I actually rewatched Once Upon a Time in Hollywood last night. Holy just shit. for you. Merry Christmas. <laughs> oh, wow. Okay, um, well, let's maybe hold off on your thoughts on the film. And, yeah, no, that that is a great scene. I do think it's kind of funny and, like, it, it has to be a knowing nod that uh, Tarantino is using a needle drop from a Hal Ashby movie when people like call a Hal Ashby movie called Coming Home when people are quite literally coming home from Italy it's like there's a little nod in there it's clever it's very good um, so you only have one I have an honorable mention goes to I can't find what, what it is the, the opening track at the Diego Maradona Asaf Kapadia's uh, documentary is this incredible um, like Jean-Michel Jarre Giorgio Moroder like synth banger as it's played over like this like really really grainy VHS footage of like a car driving through the streets of Naples as Maradona was being brought out to the Estadio San Paolo it's fantastic I'm, I can't find what it's called uh, my number three is from Hustlers um, most people are kind of talking about um, the Fiona Apple scene um, sorry the Jennifer Lopez stripping to Fiona Apple's criminal it is a very strong scene. Uh, there is another one in it when they're kind of getting deep into their um, their crimes that they're committing against Wall Street, where they're basically drugging guys and bringing them into clubs and getting them to like rack up credit card bills. Uh, they're filling them with a mix of um, ecstasy and ketamine, and there is a wonderful drop of the night versions uh, take of E Talking by Salt Solwax, which sounds a little bit like this. Yeah, just a very fun film. Um, phenomenal performances. There's needle drops all over the place in it. There's like a great Britney Spears needle drop. Um, a fun film about terrible people doing terrible things to terrible people. <laughs> um, my number two is also from Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Ooh. Um, Let's just hear it. Yeah. So it's Vanilla Fudge. You just keep me hanging on. It is probably one of the last songs. It plays over like the insane um, murdering of the Manson family. A scene that I kind of don't really like, but it's like an absolute tune. It's so good. (laughs) And I love that it blares in the mix. It really is like overtly oppressive. Like it wakes up. um, It wakes up Rick Dalton's wife. He's like, you know. Brad Pitt is off his face <laughs> hasn't a clue what's going on and it's just like ripping this song I will say like because I think it would be cheating for me to throw in another one and that's why I didn't put any more from that film into the, the my, my top three or rather my top one the the novelty song Snoopy versus the Red Baron that Rick is listening to in the swimming pool when all this is going down yeah. and it cuts back to DiCaprio once again playing an incredible drunk 
and he's like punching the fucking air with you know 10 30 30 foot like it's so fucking funny like the second time i saw the film knowing that was coming i just lost my shit like i was yeah. like that's just so so funny and it's also as novelty songs go pretty enjoyable my number one i am gobsmacked that you don't have something from this movie in it let's um, just hear it again yeah Metallica, Triple Frontier, Needle Drop, the movie. <laughs> I should have had this. Yeah, yeah. Um, having Charlie Hunnam delivering, you know, a speech to cadets about what it takes, you know, to be a man, talking about committing extreme violence, and you know, the being the price of being a warrior, and then having for whom the bell tolls smash in while Oscar Isaac is flying over like a favela in a helicopter I will say that I watched this film with my housemate Richard and I mean this is not a good film it is an immensely enjoyable film though yeah that's the thing it's not it's like it's, it's it got a kick in and it didn't do well I believe and it, it may it may signal the end of some projects that they were going to make but like Triple Frontier has become a bit of a cult hit in my own house and also the Metallica element, like, yeah, for a long time it was like, why isn't the song just used over everything? Like, yeah, and like, <laughs> even like, you know, if I could get more in, like the fact that they bookend it with Orion as well, it's just like, Hell when, I, when I started to hear that coming in, I was like, you bastards. <laughs> You've gone and done it. Definitely elevates the experience. Okay, our next award is for best thrash. How would you define this award, Dave? Um, this is something that is kind of like in the B-movie categories, you know, kind of slumming it a little bit um you know we, we've talked about den of thieves before we've talked about johannes robert's 47 meters down <laughs> if you can get that in your mind even like a movie like the shallows then you've got trash that's that's what we want here okay so your number three yeah i mean like i only have two because again it just didn't get to the cinema that much did we um so i guess it's kind of like uh number three would be replicas i have no idea what this film is slash number two i mean like the thing about replicas is i don't think it got a cinema release over here so yeah once again i may have david it's on netflix now i think uh keanu reeves proof that the keanu uh, renaissance isn't actually seamless and flawless um this is a film uh, which I think was made, I don't know, like it's, it's definitely some kind of weird deal that was struck with some film company I've never heard of from some part of the world I've never heard of. Um, China, the United Arab Emirates. I'm going to look it up just now. I mean, yeah, no, it's got like six different production companies, including like Ocean Park Entertainment, Fundamental Films, Lotus Entertainment, De Bonaventura Pictures. Um Basically, so this they were is, doing a whip around to get this made, essentially. Yeah, budget of 30 million, box office of 9.2. And it came out initially in, like, November 2018, but, like, got a proper cinematic release in January. And the early buzz in the reviews was, this is a one-star, like, must-see. Yeah. And I kept waiting for it to, like, hit fucking, you know, Wrath Mines or something to be like, we're going. And it never did. So long story short... Uh, Keanu Reeves plays a genius kind of inventor type man of course. who works with uh, close best friend Thomas Middleditch of Silicon Valley fame. Oh, Christ. <laughs> right? They work in this, they're, they're biomedical research scientists working for a company right in Puerto Rico. Um, and they, 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 they do this thing where they can transfer the mind of a dead person into a robot. So they try this with like a dead soldier 
and the robot wakes up and is is self-aware of what's going on and starts attacking itself in CGI that like would make iRobot look like it's fucking, you know, next next level even now. Uh, long story short, Keanu Reeves uh, has an idyllic family with Alice Eve as his wife and he's got lovely children. Um, do you think something tragic might happen to them? Perhaps. And thus he is forced to um, bring them back as like living clones. Oh God. Uh, what could possibly go wrong type thing. It's a mess. It's about 90 minutes long. It's got Keanu doing the mega acting. It's silly. It's stupid. It's got terrible CGI as already noted. And yeah, it falls under the thrash banner for sure. And I guess I'd also throw on top of that an actually good film, but definitely like, you know, a fun night out at the movies, Ready or Not. My number three. Yeah, really good film. Uh, starring making turn for Samara Weaving. Uh, nothing you haven't seen before, but enjoyable. Uh, great support from the likes of Andy McDowell and Henry Cherney. Always welcome. Uh, 90 minutes, I believe. Uh, bloody, silly, rompy, fun, well-written, knowing, derivative, but well done. So yeah, that's my kind of thrash. And answered out to Knives Out for you, probably. Yeah, very much yeah. so. Country House kind of murder mayhem, but done well. And just, yeah, fun. Uh, my number two was Crawl. Didn't see it. Uh, Alejandro Aya, French kind of gore hound, uh, <laughs> making a movie about Barry Pepper and Kaya Scodelarios. Um In Florida, there is a, a levee breaks, places get flooded, gators are in the home. Um, just... A lot of fun you know she's a, a, you know an aspiring olympic swimmer in it going up against gators people are being like absolutely mauled by them in this movie it's kind of ridiculous that any of them survive you know they're full-on being grabbed in the shoulder and being barrel rolled by a gator don't know how they drown very very fun movie but my number one alita battle angel yeah you recommended this to me i didn't watch it yet yeah so this is like long been in production with james cameron he kind of has been wanting to make it for years he's talked about it but he's too busy making avatar films um it eventually comes to robert rodriguez and i was like oh god like you know if you want to make a movie cheap you give it to robert rodriguez i stuck it on it's an absolutely wild film it's the closest thing we have to metal gear solid oh well now i'm sold really um ed screen also in Beale Street, basically plays Raiden. He is a ninja <laughs> robot who has a sword in, can like put a sword in like his foot, basically. He looks exactly like Raiden. Um, <laughs> there are like Metal Gears everywhere. Um, Jeff Fahey of Lost Fame and Lawnmower Man fame plays a robot man who has robot attack dogs. Casper Van Dien is in it. Oh, wow. And you've got two-time Oscar winners, Mahershala Ali and Chris- Christoph Waltz absolutely slumming it ed norton has an uncredited cameo in it yeah he this shows it at the end yeah. absolutely wild okay it's okay. got like rollerball elements not <laughs> not to mention like rose salazar is good in it yeah it was very surprising okay okay you've talked me into it fair enough uh okay. we'll move on now to a, a proper these are the big ones now guys best supporting performance who is your number three bill duke high flying bird Oh, I thought it was going to be from Mandy from last year. No, um, not a movie I liked. Yeah, Bill Duke. uh, I mean, number one, one of the greatest faces in cinema history. It's just like so iconic. Those like big droopy eyes. It's like, so anyway, High Flying Bird is a movie again. Here's my third basketball reference. Um, A movie (laughs) that was created for me, a a drama about collective bargaining in the NBA, uh, directed by Steven Soderbergh, written by uh, the writer of Moonlight, uh, Bill Duke basically plays like the a guy who runs like a gym where a lot of like players would come through in college, but like he's kind of like this legendary New York uh, 
coach. He's like amazingly cantankerous. He finds himself in scenes where he is with people who are like way above his pay grade. Uh, Sonia Son from The Wire basically plays like the, the kind of the head of the NBA Players Association. Colin McLachlan plays a fictional owner of what is essentially the New York Knicks. Um, and he is just like holding court with all of them, um, giving everybody shit. It's just like a wonderful performance and like so great to see him pop up. Like, you, you know, you don't see him enough. Absolutely, yeah, he's great. I, th- I, I for a while I thought he had retired, but someone who did retire and came out of retirement is my number three. But he's also a tie at my number three. It is, of course, Joe Pesci in The Irishman. Uh, I mean, what a what a pleasure to see him back. You know, at the peak of his powers, but yeah. but giving you a very different Joe Pesci performance from what you might expect from a Scorsese movie. Much more reserved, much more restrained, but just as menacing and terrifying. Um, with just a look of his eyes and a certain level of delivery. He's still a master of his craft. I mean, one of the greats. Like, you look over his kind of CV, and it's like, he's not actually been in as many films as you might think. No, not at all. Which is weird, I right? I mean, he's made one, before The Irishman, like one film this decade, sorry, yeah. this century. He's pretty much done. But even, yeah. like, overall, like, I mean, I think it's just like he just stood out for, you know, he's a very distinctive looking guy and sounding guy and obviously has a certain level of performance. And The Irishman... I thought it was very smart whether this was down to necessity or whether it was just a case of whatever. It was very smart to give him this role of the elder statesman and the quiet figure in the background who is full of, you know, the the puppet master and doesn't need a scene where he fucking stomps a guy in, which obviously De Niro gets that one and we know how well that went. Yeah, there's like, it's the implication is like everything that Pesci brings from previous roles is that like the implication is there. Yeah, it's masterful, and he's not, he's a master in it. But I would also, uh, on his level, I thought for me anyway, was Stephen Yun in Burning, who's famous for The Walking Dead. My number one. Wow, okay, yeah. It, this is a phenomenal performance. Uh, I guess we can kind of cross-pollinate here. He plays what is essentially the opposite of the main character. He's like charismatic, handsome, rich, charming, powerful, slick, cool, all these things. And I mean, what a what an absolute performance! What, what what a brilliant, like magnetic thing! He's so charismatic and so interesting. The only thing I can say about this performance is that it is the first time that I felt like I have been gaslit by an actor. Wow! I, I like <laughs> I couldn't place him. I couldn't tell his motivations, and like that that would normally be a criticism. But when, when you watch Burning. You know, the, the character of Ben is, like, incredibly aloof. Um, he's unknowable. And, and he might be really I, fucking sinister I, as well. We don't exactly, know for sure. Yeah. And I've, I would flip-flop so much just by little things that Stephen Young was doing. Um, yeah. we'll, we'll talk about Burning a little bit later. But, like, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a commanding, brilliant, scene-stealing, movie-stealing performance. Who have you got a number? At number two, I have uh, Zhao Shuzhen from The Farewell. Um, I don't think you've seen The Farewell. I haven't seen The Farewell. Uh, I hear it's amazing. It is, yeah, it's a, it's a wonderful film. Lulu Wang uh, basically writing and directing a story that's very close to her about how she had a grandmother who was dying in China and she went back there and basically there is a, a tradition there of not telling people when they're dying but having kind of like a big party essentially. So they, they, they kind of, they organize a wedding to have for the grandmother uh, Zhao Zhuzhen plays uh, Nene to Aquafina's Billy who has been living in New York basically like since she was a child so she you know is kind of quite distant from um, her roots 
it's just like it's an incredible performance it's such a sweet sweet movie um Zhao Zhizhen has to be kind of oblivious to the fact that she's not in on the secret um so she's in a position where everybody knows something that she doesn't know yet absolutely commands the movie she is like the proper matriarch of this family she is funny she is nurturing to everyone but she's also like incredibly fierce i've never seen her anything before she's been acting for over 60 years but it was just one of those ones where you know you haven't seen some before you see a face and you're just like completely unforgettable number two for me recently earning a lot of deserved plaudits for watchmen which we both think was very good but not perfect is Regina King for If Beale Street Could Talk, which she took home the Best Supporting Actress Oscar for. One of the greats, I think, and it's been a pleasure in the last 12 months to see her finally get kind of elevated, I suppose. Uh, I'm very excited for what comes next. I can only assume that she has her pick of roles now. Uh, A wonderful presence. Uh, One of the great faces, one of the great voices, one of the great physical performers. Uh, Embodies whatever she does. And in If Beale Street Could Talk, she's asked to do very little until she's asked to do a lot and she does both impeccably yeah the, the the whole scene where she goes to meet up with pedro pascal like and like putting the wig on is like jaw-dropping yeah she's she's the fucking star always has been but it's it's so great to finally see her get roles that are should have been there 20 years ago basically for me uh so your number one is Stephen Stephen Young. Young, yeah. yeah my number one unsurprisingly is brad pitt in once upon a time in hollywood sure did, um, did you um, consider giving him lead yeah see like uh, it's a lead to me that's interesting and it's I w- a two-hander it, it reminds yeah. me of um and i i guess it, it'll be split just for um it makes it easier to go for awards yeah. you know you split it so you don't put them up against each other but it was like it was very much like the master where joaquin phoenix was like um he was supporting actor and it's like that's a lead yeah you know, uh, there are two I'm- people in this movie I guess, yeah. And I mean, like, until now, I've never really thought about it. I just think because his character is literally supportive of yes. the lead. Like, it is completely framed that way. Um, you know, I, it was very interesting to kind of see DiCaprio do interviews where he was saying he hadn't seen what Brad Pitt was doing until he saw the film. Yeah. Which is interesting because you're like, I would have assumed you had the full script. and Maybe even if you did, fair enough. But like, he referred, like, he kind of, um, he compared him to Alan Delon, that actor, and said that when he finally saw the film in its finished form, he was so blown away by, by what Brad Pitt was doing because I guess they, they share a lot of screen time together, but they also go off on their own kind of adventures. Um, yeah, I think because the character of Cliff Booth was so like put in there as like a number two, uh, carrying his load as the film kind of opens up with. Uh, I, yeah, listen, I mean, like I really want him to win the Oscar because it's going to be the lifetime achievement thing. Um, mm. I think he's going to be up against both Pacino and Pesci and others, so it may not happen. But I, I, it's just, I mean, like again, look, listen, I've waxed lyrical about this film and I will do so before this podcast finishes, but a pleasure, a fucking pleasure to just be in the same orbit as this performance. The character obviously has questionable motivations and may in fact be a wife murderer. <laughs> so, you know, he ain't perfect but stunning performance from an actor I've always enjoyed and I've kind of come down on this uh, Tim of the Elephant probably has to take my, my silver medal here I think Brad Pitt is probably the most good looking man that's ever lived okay it's kind of ridiculous like yeah I mean I, I found I found the discourse around the movie kind of weird where you know he has that scene where he takes his shirt off and everyone's like oh my god Brad Pitt's really hot and it's like <laughs> like what <laughs> yeah he finally got did, did I miss something <laughs> yeah. yeah okay we'll move on to lead performance uh, I guess I'd probably have Brad Pitt as my number three for Ad Astra I, I just wish it wasn't undercut so violently by the fucking voiceover which to me just makes it into a different film uh, once again 
he's really good in that film because it's the opposite of Cliff Booth. It's not cool. His character is emotionally repressed and rigid and follows a code. And over the course of the two hours, he begins that begins to unravel. Again, I wish, it's like a director's commentary. I wish I could have pressed a fucking button yeah. and just killed the voiceover because I'm like, why did you agree to do this, Brad? Um, I'll say it now. He's my number one. Okay. And you know what? Having rewatched... For Ad Astra. One, yeah. Yes. But like, also like... I think he's a lead in Once Upon a Time mm. and he's incredible in that. Um, yeah, it's just like, it's him in Ad Astra is such a perfect performance. Like I, I understand the, the criticisms of the voiceover and I'm I'm curious, I want to know what happened, you know, after testing in that movie because it does seem like a movie that's been pulled in a couple of different directions. Um, I think that we would completely fall apart if it wasn't for Brad Pitt um, and what he does in it. Um his yeah his voiceover works for me in the sense that if there wasn't a lot of voiceover there there would be a little bit too much of him just you know floating in space um and it's good to get a check-in on someone who is basically quite distant from everyone like i know they kind of talk about it where he has a a heartbeat of like 60 or 70 bpm and he, he can't be phased so you need something to get internally into this character you know there's only so much that you could do with looks um even though he does that and nails that um his scene on mars sending a a message to his father is absolutely remarkable like it is one of that like that you know it's it's not quite um a day new moment but like if you want to put a for your consideration um piece together that's it for me um yeah, just like, what a year the man has had. It's so what like, gets your number three then for lead performance? Uh, Florence Pugh, Midsommar. All right. Yeah, um, I go along again, with that. I'm, I'm not, I want to rewatch this film. I'm not 100% certain where I am in it. I like it. I obviously don't hate it like you do. But <laughs> I think it's undeniable how incredible Florence Pugh is. And like everything that she has to go to, she goes through a major journey of being like kind of, you know, she again, like, like uh, Zhao Zhizhen, she doesn't know a lot of what's happening in the movie, not necessarily with the with the commune, but like within her own relationship, she's completely in the dark. Um, and she kind of learns more as it goes along and then eventually has this like moment of uh, catharsis, if that's what you want to have, a, if that's what you want, how you want to look at it. Um, yeah, I think she thinks she's incredible. She sells obviously like that real gut punch of a, a beginning that I agree with you. Ari Aster has, he's used it twice now. You can't do it again. Um, but yeah. So yeah, uh, I would happily uh, add her in as my number two alongside, and I'm going to get this name wrong, you are in who is the lead role in Burning. Again, the counterpart to Stephen Young's character. This character is uh, incredibly socially awkward and paranoid. He's an aspiring writer. He is someone who's looking for love and begins to fuck things up massively. Uh, but the it's such a it, it's a it's such a different performance from the Stephen Young character, where yeah. this character is so unsure of himself, so nervous and desperate. He's like this is a desperate character who you're kind of rooting for, even though ultimately uh, bad things happen. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's a phenomenal film, and he's amazing in it. Like the casting of all three leads is brilliant, and he's up there for sure. But Florence Pugh absolutely deserves merit. My number one unsurprisingly is Leonardo DiCaprio of on Hollywood uh, it's just brilliant uh, effortless performance uh, the stammering in the opening scene I was like holy shit what a choice 
Uh, I rooted for Rick Dalton from start to finish. I wanted him to win. I wanted him to do well. And that takes a lot, especially because the character is not the most likable guy in the world. Who else is on your list? Um, so Florence Pugh, Brad Pitt. And my number two is Kiki Lane from If Beale Street Could Talk. Oh, okay. Um, uh, an actor I'd never seen before. Um, this is a movie that, like, I agree with you, Regina King is incredible. Brian Terry Henry could have been in supporting performance as well. Like, this movie is stuffed with incredible performances. But um, she has the biggest kind of burden to carry um and it kind of goes through the biggest transformation in the movie where you know the first scene she can barely get the air out of her mouth to tell funny about being pregnant and like when you look at her journey from where she goes to how kind of pugnacious she is with funny's you know very religious mother and uh and sisters where there's just like a real bite in her is like absolutely incredible she also is like the vessel to deliver all of James Baldwin's kind of um, essayistic kind of thoughts about what life was like at that time that are like very harsh, but also like very beautiful at the same time. Um, yeah, it's just like, it's always great to see a new face where you're like, I can't wait to see what this person is next. Yeah. I want to follow this person. She's Similarly to Florence Pugh, you know, you know, I've seen her in a few things before. It's just like excited for where this person goes from now. Yeah, owns the screen. All right, on to the big one. Best movie. Do you have five? I have three. I have five. Okay. Um, I'll do I'll do a quick... My, my five and four are The Irishman and Burning. Okay, that's which fair. Which are, you know, we, we've talked about it a bit. Um, well, Burning is my number three, so we can get into Burning. Really. Yeah. Oh, sorry, Burning is my number two. I jumped the gun there. Uh, so Burning is a film that kind of... Uh, I wouldn't say came out of nowhere or anything, but it came out uh, like... In Ar- your typical thing of like a spillover it came out in Ireland in 2019 it came out before this in 2018 uh, South Korean psychological mystery drama uh, two and a half hours long uh, the, the kind of selling points for this movie and this isn't too much of a spoiler because this is all kind of the first 20 minutes or so it's about that aforementioned kind of paranoid guy he meets a girl that he knew from school they enter into a relationship she's very like odd i suppose um kind of aloof in her like herself kind of a bit of a manic, manic pixie, pixie dream but girl not yeah fully there. that's the thing you don't want to use the word quirky but like those elements are certainly in play so they begin this kind of strange courtship and you're not quite sure who's on whose level or who's leading this whole thing she then goes off on a trip comes back and in tow with her is Stephen Young's character who she met on the trip and again he is the opposite of everything that this guy is this guy's upper class the other guy's working class etc he beats this man hands down in terms of you know I guess um, merit in the dating game the three of them begin this kind of strange um, non-sexual relationship together and it's about where will this go and ultimately things get strange things things get very odd um, but not in the way that I was expecting and it's as the title might suggest, it is incredibly slow burning. When the film finally comes to a conclusion, I had that moment of like saying to my television screen, please don't <laughs> end now. Please don't hit the credits. Like, you've, uh, done you've fucking done it, haven't you? But again, couldn't stop thinking about it in the, in the days afterwards. Uh, brilliantly realized, beautiful to look at. Incredible. And like, it, it was one of the great movies this year to just like let wash over you. Like I, I knew very little going into it outside of the fact that it was like an adaptation of uh, Marikami which themselves are quite slow Mm. and ethereal and questionable female characters (laughs) um, that were essentially kind of more like ciphers or plot devices a lot of the time trophies yeah yeah but yeah it was just like it was such a weirdly hypnotic experience that's kind of has sat with me and I think about it a lot more than any film this year The Irishman number five 
Irishman number five. Um, I think I said you know on our Lou and Davis episode. Um, yeah, not the not the biggest Scorsese fan or like the traditionalist Scorsese movies. Like not his his gang gangster movies don't really do it for me. But like again, this was just like such a great experience going to the cinema. One of the great things about this year was like even though I didn't like Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, I didn't love it. I loved the fact that like you go to the cinema with a full house and go see a Tarantino film. I loved the fact that we went to a full cinema on like at noon on a Sunday afternoon. And everyone was there to see a Martin Scorsese film. Yeah, it was great. It was such a good, you know, you know, there's still hope in the, in the game. Yes. <laughs> um, yeah, I just I just love this uh, as a kind of a, a counterpoint to everything he's done before. Um, you know, all the kind of criticisms of him glamorizing the life. It's like, this is the retort to it. Um, the performances were amazing, like across the board, whether it be like his uh, Pesci, De Niro, kind of like people he's worked with before or, you know, Pacino's good, a bit big to like everyone he's worked with in TV. Yeah, I just loved it. And like, I loved how kind of morbid it was, how kind of contemplative it was. Um, I can't wait to revisit it. Number three for me, If Beale Street Could Talk, mentioned it a few times. Again, a stunning looking film, a stunning sounding film. The cast bring, uh, like, more than an A game. It's so wrought with emotion. Told kind of episodically about a young couple in trouble. Beautifully, beautifully realized. Doesn't give you the most satisfaction ever. It leaves you with questions, but so adult, so mature, and so confident in what it does. Again, like, stop what you're doing and watch this film. It's my number one. Is it? Yep. Okay. Uh, and I, I think it's been like, it's one since the start. And again, it was like one of the first films I saw this year. Immediately, I was just like, I'm intoxicated by this film. Like, I rewatched it. It got a tear out of me. That's three. Yay. <laughs> <By the> way. <laughs> um, yeah, just the way it looks, the way um, Barry Jenkins like films these two. I've, I've never seen two people as in love in a movie as I've seen in this film and whether it just be like the performances together the fact that the way it's shot they use um, they use something that Errol Morris uses to interview people with I think it's called the Interror in the, the Interrotron where it's like you look directly into the camera but uh, it's not unlike um, the way people would read the news so you are you can see the person you're acting against so like just the way they like look directly into you it's like it's so affecting such a nice touch um stefan james is amazing in this as well like i mean we haven't touched on that he's incredible it's funny um yeah it's just like such a beautiful story um the social political commentary is like still at today oh yeah you know as relevant as, as it ever was yeah um yeah it's just wonderful i can't i'm so excited barry jenkins is doing uh, an adaptation of colson whitehead's the underground railroad next can't wait for it I think he's like someone to watch. My number one to no surprise whatsoever (laughs) is of course Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I've (laughs) talked about it so often I'm not going to go into it again. I'll just say in one sentence it was the one time I went to a film this year of course I went three times and forgot I was in a cinema. Just melted away. That's all I want that's what I want from films. I just forgot where I was forgot what I was doing wanted to stay longer would have stayed longer and I think think it's an absolute fucking masterpiece of a film. Um, I think it could be longer that's like kind of one of my criticisms it's just like it jumps around too much or even though i feel like some scenes are um they're kind of stretched to their absolute limitations of um being watchable but in terms of um particularly on like the on the tate side on the manson side 
like I've said it before, I feel like it's completely shoehorned in. Give me a movie of Rick Dalton and, and Cliff Booth just hanging out and I would watch that into eternity. I didn't think it needed the rest of it. I felt that, you know, Tarantino just going to his trope of like revisionist history, knew it was coming, it wasn't a surprise, didn't feel it added a lot to the movie, but okay, a well, lot to like about it. What else you got? Um, My three is far- The Farewell. I kind of already talked about it before. Just like an incredibly sweet film, uh, incredibly touching. Um, I hadn't seen Aquafina in anything before. She's amazing in it. Um, yeah, just like some, some great scenes. There's like an amazing uh, wedding scene in it where it's basically like everyone's kind of doing like a variety act and kind of getting up and like singing a song. And then there's like a scene that's kind of takes a, a thing from that 70s show of like spinning around a table and everyone's getting drunker. Um, yeah, just something I hadn't, again, had low expectations going into it. It completely kind of knocked me for six, how good it was. And Lulu Wang, partner of Barry Jenkins, power couple of Hollywood. I <laughs> look forward to what she does next. Um, my number two is Ad Astra. I thought it might be. Yeah. Again, I'll say I agree with, to an extent, to the criticisms of the, the voiceover. I really enjoy James Gray as a filmmaker. He's like, the push a T of filmmakers. Like, you, you know, your, wow. fav- your favorite filmmaker's favorite filmmaker. Like, I feel like he's like, he's a, he's a fountain of, uh, of knowledge about cinema and he brings a lot to that. Um, by far the best looking film of the year. Like, like Hoyt Van Hoytema, even like the, the moon scene with the pirates is like, that, yeah. absolutely incredible. Mars looks absolutely stunning. Uh, the set design, like everything about this was like immaculate. Um, I absolutely loved it. Okay, that's pretty much us for the entire year for No Popcorn. I want to thank everybody for listening a lot. Real quick before we go, and I mean real quick because I have to run for a haircut now. Uh, <laughs> three films that you're not excited for and three films that you are excited for for 2020. Number three, Top Gun Maverick. Don't care. Number two, Morbius. Jared Leto is a vampire, the living vampire in the Spider-Man universe, and he's been chased by an FBI agent played by Tyrese Gibson. No, thank you. <laughs> and number one is Doolittle. Robert Downey Jr. talking to animals from the creative mind behind Syriana, for fuck's sake. <laughs> <laughs> I am bringing you to Top Gun Maverick at least for sure and probably Morbius definitely not do little though uh, three that I'm not excited for for the year as this workman goes into full drill mode behind me I do apologise if this is being picked up Black Widow just don't need it Florence Pugh yeah but like David Harbour Rachel Vice, <laughs> but like I don't know man don't use Rachel Vice in the same sense as David Harbour for God's sake Bad Boys for Life okay yeah which is a film that no one needs anyway but it looks really bad and cheap and number one Ghostbusters Afterlife very fair Stranger Things the Ghostbusters years no thank you whatsoever 2020 I've already bought my my metaphorical ticket for number three Underwater and this is a movie about an earthquake that devastates an underwater facility. Kristen Stewart is cashing in her, um, you know, I've, I've, I've made my movies with Olivia Assoyes and she's making like another trashy, what has deep blue sea vibes. Vincent Cassell plays the captain of the ship. Oh, wow. Yeah. Number two, <laughs> Tenet. Yes. Um, also my number two. Okay. And number one... Of course, uh, Christopher Nolan's big mystery movie. Big, trailer just dropped. Looks kind of inception in terms of its backwardsness. But, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. just sign me up. And Robert okay. Pattinson, baby. Number one, Macbeth. Joel Cohen out on his own making a movie with Denzel Washington, Francis McDormand, and Brendan Gleeson. 
There okay, fair enough. Uh, my number three, uh, Bill and Ted Face the Music. Wow. I mean, like, am I, do I want this film? Not necessarily, but am I supporting it? I am, yeah, because, you know, Keanu Renaissance, Alex Winter's getting a fucking payday. Of course. And Kid Cudi's in it as well. Okay. And okay. I think Samara Weaving's in it, possibly, too. She plays one of the daughters. Yeah. yeah. Like, it could be absolutely terrible, but I want to give it the goodwill. Uh, Tenet at uh, number two for me not the biggest Nolan fan in the world but he makes supremely watchable films and I'm sure it'll be an event even if Michael Caine's not there yet again at number one uh, a, a filmmaker that I prefer to you for sure I don't like the lead actor in this whatsoever but the supporting cast is absolutely stacked and I'll watch anything that Denis Villeneuve does so June Big June Big June yeah. Think it'll be better than David Lynch's? Uh, I don't know Won't be hard <laughs> <laughs> Maybe? Okay that workman is getting very close to the gaff now and it's getting kind of scary so I'll sign off David Higgins thank you so much for all of your no popcorn pleasure. entries this year we will of course be back in 2020 thank you so much for listening uh, this was a fun ramshackle two days before Christmas recording to do I hope it's as enjoyable to listen to all the love in the world go see the movies that we talked about that were good don't watch the ones that we said that were bad and we'll be back very very soon good luck bye 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 podcast is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network. The only thing better than grinding all night for your side hustle is your roommate picking you up with Mickey D's breakfast. The perfect pickup deal. There's a deal for every morning at McDonald's. Right now, taste breakfast perfection when you get a warm and savory sausage McMuffin with egg for just $2.50. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with combo meal. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.